This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Happy Monday morning to you. <laughs> Another week. Ben's all pink-eyed and bushy-tailed. You look good, Ben. Ben's all dressed up, ready for another week. Terry, on the other hand, taking a nap. Exhausted. Trumped out. It was a tough weekend. Hey, did you watch the Democratic Forum? No. Did you listen to it? No. Oh, you're boring. I listened to it. I listened to two of the three. It was it was perfect timing. I got to I listened and then I went and did a speech. Came back, listened to the other. So I got to hurt here, feel the burn, the burn stirred, the Bernard. Right, right. Bernie. Burn. I got to also hear Hillary. What about Martin O'Malley? I didn't hear Martin. It was sad. Missed Martin. Uh, the neat thing, I think she did a great job. What's um, Rachel Maddow? Some would say she just throws softballs and then plays weird games with them. Okay. But I thought it was fascinating. She was tough-ish and fun. It felt like camp. Hmm. Democratic camp. Democratic camp. (laughs) You know where you play those games? You play a game like... Red Rover? Yeah. Okay. Ben, you going to say something? You just look like you're getting No, I was just getting it ready in case. I was getting prepared. Ben wants to be um, quick on the uptake today. For that off moment, you... Talk to him instead of at him. No, no. No, okay. no, no. We're not getting involved, Ben. Remember last time? It just doesn't go well. I know. We just talk at him. Hey, um, uh, so that was interesting, I thought. But now we're going to have debates. This is the week of debates. Tomorrow is the Republican debate. Mm. That'll be exciting. It's from we'll Fox see. Business, right? Yeah. So that'll be, I mean, CNBC nailed it. And the, uh, the moderators are already positioning themselves to be tough. They're not going to back down in light of what happened with CNBC. Yeah. This is going to get crazy. And the Republican candidates all sort of tried to form a, an alliance, which yes. quickly broke down when they realized that they're fighting against each other. And well, so cooperating in this way doesn't really help each other's campaigns. This isn't Big Brother, right? This isn't the Survivor Island. Alliances don't always work. No. Well, it's, vice presidency, if you want to angle that direction. Yeah. That's why some candidates still won't attack other ones. Ted Cruz. Well, Ted, Ted loves everyone. He's, just, he's a loving Ted's guy. Ted's made his entire career about loving everyone. That's kind of what I've – that's how I'd characterize <laughs> it, yeah. yeah. Well, the sad thing is, is it's not true because he's <laughs> been mad at everyone, it seemed like, for years. And now he just thinks everyone's great. Donald's great. Hey, by the way, Don, uh, again, impacting ratings for NBC. As he predicted. As he predicted. So talk about the SNL ratings. You said it was a, it was like the best ever? What I saw was the best since 2012. Oh. Well, that's a couple of years. Well, they've had some down years with, with Saturday Night Live. It's kind of a hit and miss show. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes not so much. <laughs> it just depends on what they're doing and what the topics are. A lot of it, is when it's driven politically, it's usually the best. Well, interesting. Larry David opened the show. As Bernard. No. As Bernie Sanders. He did not. He Well, he was, I guess they mock the Democratic yeah, discussion. The forum. And, couch, yeah. sit down. But isn't he, he was the one that said, live 
from New York. Oh, I didn't see that part. It's Saturday. Yeah, he's okay. He opened the show. He opened. Didn't the he? Show. It wasn't Don. It wasn't the. No, Don's you're right. That's what they. I was gonna watch. I was gonna watch that before the show, but you know, work. I did see that part. Got in the way. I've been very busy this weekend, but I, I want to hear the SNL stuff. Um, Trump on SNL. He's holding like a press conference. Is that what, like well, a it, meeting? It like, was a meeting. It kind of looked like it was in the uh, the in the Oval Office. They're sitting on the couch. All his cabinet members, or a few of them, are sitting around, and he's asking, or they're informing him on the world uh, yeah. status of the world. It's two years after that Trump won the election, okay, and the world is awesome, of course. So let's hear. Uh, this is President Trump on Syria. General, how are we doing in Syria? Well, ISIS is completely eliminated, sir. The country is at peace. All the refugees have returned. And they have great jobs as blackjack dealers in the Trump Hotel and Casino in Damascus. <laughs> so everyone's happy? They're so happy, Mr. President. That's They're great. Syria. They're Syria. He's fixed Syria. How about Russia? Madam Secretary, how's the situation in Russia? Never better. After your face-to-face meeting, Putin has withdrawn from Ukraine. And believe me, he does not want to be called a loser again. He cried for hours. Well, I'm sorry. I just had to do that. Keep up the good work, Amorosa. You're doing fantastic. Amorosa. That's <laughs> <laughs> so scary. This is actually scary to think about. Uh, yeah. President Trump on the economy. Jimmy, how's the economy? Amazing, sir. Uh, in the words of our new national anthem, it's huge. After your tough negotiations with China, you are killing them on trade. They're now borrowing money from us. I have no idea how you did it, sir. Well, you know what? I don't have to get specific. With me, it just works. You know, it's magic. It's just ma- it's always been that way my whole life. Magic. See, they ended up he he beat himself up. Yeah. So he endeared himself to the SNL audience. He did. That probably wouldn't vote for him, but they he's showing he can take it. Now, there's one more. I know. Where at the end of this skit, he said this. Mr. President, the president of Mexico oh. is here to see you. Oh, that's great. Send him in. Ah. Dono. Enrique. I brought you the check for the wall. Oh, that's so <laughs> uh. It's in the this audience. Is far too much money. I no, I insist. Consider it an apology for doubting you. As history shows us, Nothing brings two countries together like a wall. Well, I, I told you, and it, it's, I'm so proud of you, and changing Telemundo to all English for me, mm. you changed that to all English, just of the greatest course. thing. jeez. Oh, <laughs> but see, oh, wow. So he paid for the wall, paid and then he the changed wall. everything to tele, uh, Telemundo to English. Another clip is about how he had the writers tone it down. That's what he says. Proud Mr. President, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but we have got a big problem. What is it's it? the American people, sir. What? They're just sick of winning. They're winning so much. It's just too great, sir. Look, I know how they feel. It's exhausting. But that's what really, I mean, that is the price you have to pay. Winning is tough. It's not that easy. If you think that's how it's going to be when I'm president, you're wrong. It's going to be even better. <laughs> I said to the writers of this sketch, keep it modest, okay? It's better to start with low expectations. That way, you have nowhere to go but up. So this election season, before you vote, dream. Dream of Melania for first lady. <laughs> Wouldn't she be a great first lady? This message paid for by the Melania for First Lady Foundation at Trump Organization Time. Wow. There you go. 
you don't need to raise money when you can be on SNL and do skits like that. It's free advertising. I wonder whose ratings were higher. I guess Donald's compared to Hillary's. Oh. When they were both on SNL, that'll now. probably come out later today. I've not seen that anywhere. They'll have a they'll have a they'll have a duel. They'll have to do more and more press and media, more comparison. But another thing that happened is, um, you know, a lot of other groups were against Donald being on gr- SNL. For one, one group offered a cash prize if someone said that Donald Trump was a racist. Well, but nobody would say nobody would say that. They're not bad. And we're going to have a lot of fun tonight. You're a racist. Oh, yeah. I knew this was going to happen. Who is that? Trump's a racist. <laughs> Larry David. What are you doing, Larry? I heard if I yelled that, they'd give me $5,000. <laughs> As a businessman, I can fully respect that. That's okay. So there you go. So they got us five grand. <laughs> well, and then the, the group came out and they posted on Twitter saying they'd like to... Contact Larry David, know where to send the money. Because hmm. all they wanted was that phrase, and they felt that was enough to get a conversation. But started. again, it, it, it's, he's Teflon Don. Nothing sticks. No. Like, he, they throw out, you're a racist, it becomes a joke. And yeah. he respects him for doing it for money. There you go. Done. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, uh, you know, Trump, man, unbelievable. We, uh, we'll be getting more into this discussion about Trump, about Ben Carson, and some of the hullabaloo all around his autobiography. We'll get to that in a bit. But before we do, let's get to the headlines. Terry, anything going on around the world? Certainly there are. Different media outlets have raised questions in recent days over a variety of claims Ben Carson has made about his past, including stories about a West Point scholarship, stabbing a friend, being named the most honest student in a college class, and protecting white students at a Detroit high school during a riot. Carson said that he is getting scrutinized because people feel threatened by his candidacy. He has this to say over the weekend. There is a desperation on behalf of some to try to find a way to tarnish me because they have been looking through everything. There's got to be a scandal. There's got to be some nurse he's having an affair with. Next week, it'll be my kindergarten teacher who said I peed in my pants. So look forward to that coming up this week in the Hope investigative not. journalism. Carson says his campaign wouldn't change in light of the public scrutiny. In a tweet, Ben Carson says, We the people have made 10,000 donations each day this week, raising $3.5 million this week alone. Thank you, biased media. <laughs> so, President Obama and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu will seek to move beyond the nasty public clash over the Iranian nuclear deal and restore a more trans- a transsexual approach to the U.S.-Israeli relationship, including delicate conversations about possible expansion of military aid when they meet in Washington, D.C. later on today. Though they have sharply different views on how to handle the current geopolitics of the Middle East and a history of sour relations, Obama and Netanyahu both are looking to set a course for the last year of, Obama, of the Obama presidency, which will also represent another critical period in Israeli uh, security. More than 30 football players at the University of Missouri said Saturday they refused to play in any practice or practice uh, until Tom Wolf, the system president, resigns or is terminated. Tim Wolf is the president's name there. Hmm. Uh, the athletes, many of whom are black, are boycotting as part of a larger movement on campus to protest racial issues. A student group has been pushing for Wolf's resignation since at, at least October, arguing 
His response to race-related incidents on campus has been insufficient. On Sunday, Missouri coach Gary Pinkle tweeted that we are behind our players. School president Wolf said in a statement that change is needed. A meeting is scheduled for 10 a.m. Eastern this morning. This is of interest here on campus because Missouri yeah. is playing BYU this week. Maybe. Possibly. <laughs> They're playing them at uh, Arrowhead Stadium where the Kansas City oh, Chiefs that'd be play. Great. How cool the is that? The possible penalty for not playing the game would be a million dollars. Ooh. So the school system has some incentive to get this fixed. So quickly. it's the black players that are picketing. Yes. Well, one graduate student is on a hunger strike until the president is taken out of. And his he's going to have some meeting or whatever tomorrow. They're going to have a meeting today. Oh, today. With the, the whatever their director system is to come in and decide: Do we keep the president? Yeah, we got to get going on this. Uh, Republicans and Democrats, local leaders in Missouri, are both calling for the president to step down. Really? Wow. So there's all, all this mounting pressure. And Saturday's game, just to kind of add to some of the awkwardness, was set to be a whiteout. Oh, was it? Where they sell the $20 t-shirts and everyone in the crowd wears the same color. But Racism that has, once again. That has been since canceled. <laughs> Oh, wow. And over the weekend, Spectre, the James Bond movie. Yes. $73 million. Holy cow. Jan- uh, the uh, what, Peanuts made uh, $45 million. I wonder Those if there were as many movies. explosions in Peanuts as there were in Spectre. No, there's a lot of explosions yeah, in Spectre. That was an enjoyable movie. Uh, it's the second biggest Bond opening just behind Skyfall, and uh, The Martian came in third, making $9.3 million. See, The Martian still in the race. Great movie, too. Hmm. Well done. Well done. Okay, so uh, think politics for us. We always like on Monday to go take some time, go talk to our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. We're going to see if we can get him on the line, and we're going to be talking all things political. Man, a lot of news going on with Ben Carson. Um, You know, Rubio's got issues they're all talking about. This vast media conspiracy against the GOP. Hmm. Tons to talk about, plus the upcoming debates. Stick with us, folks, doing what we can to help you uh, find the important things in your life, give you the tools, the information you need. Stick with us. It's all good. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, is there a left-wing conspiracy against the GOP candidates? You know, once they become a front-runner, does the media just go crazy and slowly pick apart candidates like Trump and Ben Carson? Or... Are they just doing what the media does? I mean, when you think about it, everybody, I mean, everybody that runs for president is going to be picked apart, shredded eventually. And uh, so I guess that becomes our question as we're discussing Ben Carson right now. Uh, Ben Carson, you know, he wrote an autobiography, I believe, back in 1990 called Gifted Hands. And uh, in there, he he made a a lot of... uh, just references to his life, to things that happened in his life, just simple little things, you know, like from taking a hammer to scare his mom kind of a thing to throwing a rock at somebody's face. And now everyone's like looking into all of this information. And as they look into it, 
it's it's starting to get a lot of questions because they really can't find anyone to substantiate the claims or some of these claims that, uh, you know, he stabbed a family member with a knife so hard in his abdomen that it broke his knife. And that started as a friend. That started as a friend originally. And then... He clarified that it was a family member. Yeah. And these people don't want to come out and talk about it. But there's a lot of other issues. Another claim he had is that he went to West Point and had a full-ride scholarship and met General Westmoreland, which I guess now is being discredited because there are no full-ride scholarships at West Point because everybody that goes to West Point goes for free. So it's kind of a technical argument. He says, well, I went there. They were going to cover it for me. If you watch his interview on Face the Nation, they start out by saying they show a clip of him getting kind of agitated at a press conference over the weekend. And he's he he says I the woman ask a woman reporter asks him, "Um, you said you got a full right scholarship. And he goes, I never said full right. Was that? Not in the book. He goes, that's that's a lie. You're lying. Don't do that. Ooh. And then CBS runs a clip from Charlie Rose with, on PBS where he goes, I got a full-ride scholarship from West Point. <laughs> I never said that. <laughs> and it, you, you start scrambling to try to right. you know, get, get control of a message and you start making statements and then the media starts, oh, wait, here's a clip where you said those exact words and then, yeah. oh, okay, and – and it turns into this thing, and it's just as he he says, it's a huge distraction. Well, sure. Now, of course, he's going to say it because he's the one that's having to answer all the questions. But in general, it is. It's just a distraction away from the important things. But at the same time, he said it all. It wasn't well, like yeah. they're making it up. No, and so, this is. But see, then it's like, did he say it in the book, or did he say it in an interview? And is it different? And then it gets all mixed because yeah. no then one knows where all, the source. Yeah, is. because he's told the story a million times. This is the dilemma: is that his entire career since quitting medicine has been to talk about his autobiography. He's a speaker. Right. And so these stories have been told over and over and over again. And I've, as a speaker, there's stories that I told and have told for years that I don't even remember anymore. Like, I don't even remember them happening. That's how long I've told the story. Hmm. So the story becomes more of the deal than what happened. Like, mine are usually embarrassing stories of me tripping. But... You know, and then over the years, I've embellished it. Well, as then I tripped for like two blocks instead of just tripping uh, for a couple feet. As Ben Carson says, people are questioning me about things that happened when I was fourteen. Yeah, you know, how do you do? You have you just have chapter to go, and verse of everything you did. You just have to go with what's in the book. So if you put it in the book, then you have that's that's that's, that's the record. Okay, don't you think? I mean, you, you have to start somewhere. Yeah, you got to start with what you've said in a book that you vetted and made sure. But in the end, I don't think this is hurting him, and I don't think it will no. hurt him because he's already raised $3.5 million since yes. all of these questions started. So he's probably thinking, keep it up. Keep it up. The whole book thing was more about – it was less about I'm a bad boy that wanted to knife somebody but that God saved me, right? So for him, it was telling how God saved him, and now the godless media – are going after godless him. media. No, but that's see, so that's what that's how everyone in Iowa is going to see this. Is like, see, the godless media is now chasing the believer, who is healed from wanting to hurt everybody. Oh, let's send him some money. <laughs> that's that's what's good, happening. How do you, as a as a as a public speaker? Yeah, you're telling personal stories. Oh yeah, 
you're, you're, you're doing these kind of things. How do you keep the personal stories from changing? Well, let me just tell you, here's what I've learned, because there are many examples of people who tell embellishing stories that make themselves look good. The way, the way is the best way I've ever found. When you embellish a story, only embellish the, in a way that you look worse. Okay. So, so embellish backwards. So I always look – I'm more self-deprecating. I do something that's more stupid and it's funny. So what I'm finding – because I just had a big date night. Had a bunch of people there, like 700 people. Hmm. And I just tell funny stories basically but teach interesting principles. But some of the stories are embellished a little bit. That's what makes it funny. By the way – I'm telling a story about how my wife and I are so different about the, the – we have mice in our house. Mm-hmm. Apparently everyone in our neighborhood does now. Oh. Uh, so I, I feel a lot better. Is it your fault? No. I think okay. it's because they're building a building on an empty field near all of us. There you go. That's All what the mice it. came a-running. Yes. Um, and some guy had a pipe too. He's piping a song and a bunch of mice. A fife type thing? He was a fife. Okay. That's he weird. He was a fifer. Um, Watch your but, kids. Watch uh, your kids. And I'm totally, as I'm sitting there, <laughs> as I'm sitting there uh, telling this story, I'm talking about mice in our house and how this year's better than last year because this year, how many mice have we had? And we've only had three this year. Last year we had had four. We're doing better. Okay, that night, came home. We have one running around our house. We're trying to catch. Can't find it. I I, in fact, I tore a couch apart last night. Because I was sure I smelled dead mouse. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was just, you know, a bag of Funyuns. Right. Um, same smell, by the way. <laughs> exact exactly same smell. like a dead mouse. <laughs> by the way, Funyuns, you got to do something different. The, uh, but but as, I'm, as I'm embellishing the story, I'd actually, and that one I wasn't embellishing it, but um, we found six more mice in our house last day. And oh. somewhere, apparently, a family of mice... Because they they seem like they were I don't know eight year old mice, mm. eight year old mice. Mm-hmm. Okay, like a, you know they weren't big, they weren't little, they were about eight year old size. In mouse years, came aboard, and we caught eight mice. Boom, 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 boom. We caught a bunch of them in traps with no bait. Whoa, not weird. They just got stuck. Okay, they were actually it was a spider trap, but they were stuck in a spider trap. Huh. Anyway, so I've learned that. I just the whole time I'm just telling how what a horrible hunter I am. So I'm really not a very good man because good men would have kept their wives free from mice. And anyway, the embellishment of making me look more and more idiotic becomes funny to everyone else. And in the end, no one is going to come track me down and say, "Were you really that stupid?" No, and and if you weren't. Mm-hmm. They would probably be, you know, okay, fine. You're yeah. just, you're just, you're just having a joke. Move on. But when you're, you're setting things up as fact, right? That's when it turns. Well, but see, everything I talk about, this is the problem. Is they, if you state an opinion, and this is, I think, the Trump effect. He states something that's maybe not real or accurate, but he states it so factually that everyone thinks it's real. Except the press will fight it, but his fans don't care. And I don't think Ben Carson's fans of well, his book are going to care. And then if you see how they, they kind of frame it, that the media is just out to get me. Yeah. Right? You have negative polls and, tr- and Trump says, the people that run those polls hate me. Right. You know, or, you know, the CNBC, when in the middle of that debate, 
they, they'd ask a question directly to the candidate and then they'd fire back on media bias and right. you guys don't. And then the crowd gets behind them and then it turns into this whole other story rather than the See, questions. this is this is that's the, that's in the end going to be the whole rub here. We Ben Carson, for example, was accepted to yell. And they would have easily apparently, I mean, accepted him to West Point. Well, they wanted him. He one, was an ROTC one of his, candidate. One of his uh, explanations is he goes, why would I go to West Point when I've already decided I was going to Yale and medical school right. and this is what I was going to do with my life? Why would I choose uh, West, West Point? Point? He goes, all respect, love the school, right. not going to go there. Right. But so, so to, what probably happened, but he wasn't clear about it in his book, is he wasn't offered a full-ride scholarship, but he was offered entrance. You're a Detroit boy, minority, in the ROTC with those grades and those brains. You could get into Yale. Come on over. Mm-hmm. We'll get you in no matter what. We can get you in. We'll get you in. So then he just wrote full scholarship. But again, an example of something that this one probably doesn't matter. No. Now, go back to uh, President Obama smoking weed mm-hmm. and or – any other thing we didn't know about his childhood that he didn't – I don't know that he immediately came clean on. No. That was part of the problem is he held back saying it's right. private. Was it's there the same life. pressure – I mean just think of that. Was there the exact same level of pressure about the difference between Obama's childhood and Ben Carson's childhood? Was there the same intensity? Probably not. But then Obama didn't – make a living on his book like Ben Carson did. No. So I don't know. I think that's why everyone's ticked. But I think it's also the GOP people are going to love it and the Dems are going to be like, oh, please give me a break. On top of Ben Carson being the leader, so you start looking into his past, Once you're a leader, what's happening. Mm-hmm. This is why on the Matt Townsend show, we like settling for second. <laughs> no one pays attention to you. <laughs> <laughs> you just sneak by. Nothing's going to happen there. Um, anyway, so that's – it's just fascinating stuff. Uh, and again, I don't know. Trump gets free publicity. Hillary Clinton seems to be coasting. Is anyone going to really stop her? What's uh, – the burn, the burn stir, he'll come out and get mad, get a little upset, push a lot. Not really. Say he's going to – you know, say he doesn't really l- – he never meant to say that we shouldn't pay attention to her emails. His his whole position now is he just needs to check her. He goes, here's here's things that I find very important. We're going to talk about this. Force her to talk about them. That's yeah. his effect on what's happening because he just can't catch he, her. He's not a he's not a mean politician. Either. No, you just you, no one's going to take Hillary on till the main event. So which is going to be interesting because she's either going – everyone thinks she's going to you know, like be soft and squishy and not have been tested by having 17 people running. But I think she's going to be a brute. She's going to turn it on. She's going to turn it on. She has a switch. Oh, yeah. That's scary. Um, that's going to the, – the burn uh, – who knows what's going to happen there, honestly. But that that whole forum was an interesting thing too because – it was a lot of soft love. There's a lot of love there. Right. Well, Rachel loves him. It was yeah. <laughs> it was love fest. But it was also I liked getting to know that side of him. Yeah. I mean there I think there's something to getting to know who these people are. Bernie, greatest thing their he said. That kind of thing, his but. grandkids. Yeah. Seven. Remember we had his one of his 
a guy that wrote a book about him. I was going to say his biographer, but it wasn't. But it was on uh, Friday. Yeah, and we kept kind of driving. Does Bernie have family? And we learned not a lot. His wife. His wife's a wonderful woman. The guy had spoken with her but several Bernie times. Bernie loves his grandkids, yeah. brought it out. It's There's one of the a, there, greatest things There was a life. video on Halloween. He was walking around the streets of the town they live in, taking his grandkids trick-or-treating. Ah, scary With kids. like four camera crews. But that's what happens. Was he really? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of fun. Marco Rubio, uh, you know, that was supposedly a huge thing, right? Because all of his money and... His, the use of uh, what a Florida card. GOP credit card to pay off all kinds of different expenses, and not, he he paid it back, but yeah. but there's really not even a lot of there's nothing there. No, and he released all the information on it, and it's something that he says has been following him for five years. Uh-huh. But again, you always get revisited. So. Some on MSNBC said he, he he knew there was nothing there, and they he's they think that he was slow walking out the information so that people would bite on it because when they bite oh. on it. So he's looking for attention. Well, well, or he's looking for someone to look really petty and stupid. Okay. Like whoever would bring up right. his money. Well, he he's already taken care of it. He's yeah. paid off all the back. The, it's it's an old story. It's a very but old so, story. So he was kind of like baiting the hook to see if uh-huh. he could get hey, someone to come, come after on, somebody him. Somebody come, come on. And, and they you, did. I think, then you could look like you're toppling the media. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, and uh, the media, but more importantly, he thought like Donald would bring it up. Oh, okay. I think Donald did bring it up. Like yeah. you can't even yeah. take care of your own you're a poor credit manager. cards and. And uh, I think he even thought Bush might get in d- – jumping in on it because Bush's people, I guess, apparently keep saying how they have so much background on Rubio. Yeah. So he's like, bring it out. Bring it. I, so they were saying maybe you slow play in it. Get these people to do something and then show the media, everybody that – what are you chasing? Little Politics. Little rope dope right? crazy. Anyway. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Um, let's do this. Let's take a break. Come back. We'll do a little coach's corner, see what uh, we got going on. And uh, also some headlines around the rest of the world. Find out more from, um, you know, there's just a lot of things that might be in play when it comes to politics. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. everybody to the Matt Townsend show giving you the tools the information you need to grow healthier happier lives top of the morning to you uh we've been uh trying to give you a little uh, update on what's going on politically but uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about a story that came out of slate uh Robin Williams uh his widow tried to clarify the cause of his death we heard that the cause of his death was depression um, it was a suicide, and because of the depression, you know. But um, what instead she she wanted to give a little bit more information so that we don't always just think that every really funny comedian um, is just a, a horribly sad, crushed person deep down below. And uh, anyway, apparently Robin, we've learned that um, he wasn't just a sal- a sad clown according to his wife. Um, in the end, he, he, could, he did not just commit suicide, but uh, he was de- because he was depressed, he actually was suffering from some other symptoms, from other diseases, 
that are played from the playbook, the dark playbooks of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, and schizophrenia. His wife went on record saying that depression was one of, let's call it, 50 symptoms, and it was a small one. The sad clown myth is false and destructive. It promotes a worldview that understands humor as a form of escape from a bleak reality that will inevitably triumph in the end. It provides rational rationale for mentally ill comedians not to seek help. But instead, she's saying, honestly and truly, this was more about um, him dealing with other issues that were going on in his life. Um, and it's hard because remember when Robin Williams died, it was tragic. It was tragic for all of us. And then all of a sudden, suicide is then connected to depression. And do you remember we started having um, all of these discussions about depression and the impact that depression has on on killing uh, and either us killing other people, all of these tragic shootings that have been going on, or suicide. And so she wanted to come out and be clear that there's other consequences of other diseases, other disorders that are going on. And I think that's an important discussion for all of us to have. Man, we have to start thinking more complexity, right? Um, Really, a lot of times it's just easy for us to just get one solution. Yeah, Robin Williams was just depressed. But remember, he had also had heart surgery, um, which also increases the likelihood of depression and other suicidal thoughts. He was also, um, she called it, Lewy body dementia. Susan Williams, who was in a year-long relationship, a years-long relationship with a comedian before marrying him in 2011, told ABC this week that about her husband's rapid decline in the months before his death, doctors had diagnosed Robin Williams with Parkinson's disease in November of 2013 after he developed a classic resting tremor in his left hand. Americans know Parkinson's well, both because of its prevalence. It affects about a million people in the United States. And if you remember, because as a very famous advocate in Michael J. Fox, unlike Fox, however, Williams was reportedly uh, uh, wasn't ready to share about his diagnosis. He did not want to talk about it. Um, But now it ends up being the fact that it probably wasn't the right diagnosis. Williams struggles uh, with cocaine and alcohol in earlier years. He had relapses with alcoholism in the 2000s, and uh, those were all well reported by Williams himself. He then had relapse into heavy alcohol use in his 50s, and um, you know it probably impacted his brain, she believes. But that's not why he developed Lewy body dementia. And um, anyway... Apparently, Williams had been misdiagnosed because of it's it's such a hard disease to diagnose. But uh, the only way to diagnose it is with a brain autopsy, which, of course, you'd have to be dead for. So interestingly, they found out later that he had characteristic signs of Lewy body dementia in people who doctors thought simply had Parkinson's. And um, so isn't it interesting? We can all be so convinced we can gather all of the data of the brightest people. All of the doctors can get involved. They A, they may not even be able to diagnose someone properly, but B, they are then going to speculate after the fact to see and try to make up a story for what Robin Williams was really going through. But we wanted to give you the real information. It's It was not what anyone had thought it was. 
Lewy body dementia. And let me tell you, too, why I think it's important. Um, A lot of people I know have anxiety, have depression, have ADD. I know people with uh, that forever we have thought had Alzheimer's and find out later it's another disease similar to Alzheimer's. But we throw these terms around like we all know what they mean. And we can't educate you on everything. But um, Lewy body dementia is the second most common type of progressive dementia after Alzheimer's disease. And it may also cause visual hallucinations. It can also cause unusual behavior, conversations, for example, with a deceased loved one. Anyway, and apparently severe depression and apparently suicide. So just giving you more information. Uh, remember, there's we're, life is so much more complicated and we still have a really weird taboo, it seems like, about uh, talking about death, don't you think? It's We don't really go there very often, do we? We, especially death or suicide, because we don't know what to say. And it's it's probably causing us to not openly discuss stuff like we need to. Anyway, interesting stuff. Also, before we uh, end this first hour, I wanted to take a minute and get into um, some ideas to motivate yourself. Uh, It's a Monday morning, man. And a lot of times you're just not feeling it. You're absolutely tired. You're exhausted. But uh, let me give you some of my favorite uh, little tips, some ideas, hopefully, that, um, that we can all use to, you know, Maybe create a little bit healthier life for ourselves, for others. Maybe also just create some drive in us. There is a state that we've talked about on the show before called flow. And flow is where you feel like you're in optimal living. You are in the space you want to be in. Your life is in sync. You're doing what you should be doing. And you are, you're being tested. You're being stretched. And things are happening. They call it the state of flow. It's a major major uh, benefit of, of kind of being able to balance that sweet spot between boredom and frustration, right? So some of us in our lives are go to work every day and we're bored out of our head. We're making the donuts, making the donuts, just trying to get through life. Some of us, though, are so frustrated by having to go to work. Ugh. Every Like every time we make the donuts, we get ticked off and why isn't the dough here? And off we go. Flow is the ability to be tested enough that you have to stretch and get out of your comfort zone to make stuff happen. But you're not so – everything's not so easy. You're bored. But it's not so hard. You're ready to just give it all up. Flow is that sweet, perfect little spot. And the research gets uh, deep into why we need to be stretched in our lives, why it might even make sense why some people run for president because it stretches them, why some people continually keep trying new things, why are some people willing to ride their bike hundreds of miles a day? Why would somebody choose to go run a marathon? Because it probably puts us in flow. So one of the uh, rules to getting into flow, and this is basic, you know, motivation 101, is you have to find something 
that you find uh, interesting, and it's got to be challenging. Okay, so there's two things that are key to your life. So think about your life. If you are sick and tired of it, if you're exhausted, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, like you're sitting there thinking, I got eight more years before I can retire, and I don't even have a desire to go one more year uh, in this job, then we have got to figure out how to get into flow. Flow demands that you have something interesting in your life going on. If you are not interested in what's going on in your life, guess what happens? You're not going to be in flow. You're going to actually, we tend to run away from things that we're not interested in. We avoid them. We don't want to handle it. We don't want to do it. So think about your life. Are you finding something interesting to do? The second thing you've got to have is it's got to be challenging to you. It might be interesting for you to stay home from work and not have to work again and play video games all day. That might be an incredible challenge for you because you don't even know how to play some of these games. But if it doesn't interest you, but it challenges you, that's not enough, right? So a job that you have to go do that you don't care about, that's not going to help you create flow. Or the reverse is also true. If it's challenging to you or if it's interesting to you, you love it, it's the greatest thing in the world, but it doesn't challenge you anymore, then that too will create a state of optimal being for you. So ask yourself about your life. Do you find your life interesting? Do you find what you do day in and out interesting? Do you, do you like your job? And is it too easy for you? Do you not even think about it anymore? Because if it's just interesting but you're not challenged, you're going to start to slip out of flow, probably into a state of boredom. So to have um, a long-term drive, a long-term um, motivation, you've got to make sure you're looking for flow. You've also got to make sure that you have a plan for how you're going to do it reasonably. Somehow you've got to figure out, how am I going to go eight more years? And you can't just say, well, I'll just take, I'll just live on my vacations. That's what I'll do. Because eventually you might run out of vacation. You've got to have a plan for how you're going to make it through anything. If you want to become, you know, go back to school and get a degree and, and, change your whole profession. You can totally do that. Is that interesting to you? Absolutely. Does that challenge you? You bet. Now, do you have a plan that's reasonable? Well, uh, I have to sell my house, get, you know, move my kids to my grandmother's. If it's not a reasonable plan, it's just going to frustrate you. In the end, the motivated people have to figure out how they're going to be able to do it in a reasonable way. Maybe you're going to have to borrow the money. Maybe you can at your work you can have the employer pay. But you got to figure out what you're going to do. It's got to be challenging and interesting, and you have to have a reasonable plan. And the research shows when those four things are in play, challenges that are interesting with a plan that's doable, all you need to do then is act on it consistently. And when you act on it consistently, bada boom, bada bing, you're going to feel more motivation. People that don't act on their plan tend to get unmotivated. They're disincentivized, right? They tend to fall away and not be as interested. Motivation is about having a goal that's interesting. Now, think of how many times you cannot get your kids to clean their room. Well, because it's challenging, but it's not interesting. And there's not a plan to do it. And it's not reasonable because you're going to 
you might throw a big barrier out there. If that room's not cleaned, I'll kill you. Nah, you won't kill me, Dad. It's against the law. Then you won't walk. Nah, you won't. You mean I got to walk. You got to let me walk. To motivate people, you got to get into their head. You got to figure out how they're, what is interesting for them. You got to figure out what challenges them. They've got to have a way to do it that's doable. So let's not clean our room. I know it's a horrible mess. Let's clean it for 10 minutes a day for the next week. 10 minutes a day. Today, let's just work on the clothes. Okay. Can you give me 10 minutes a day to get this one thing done? A lot of times, that's why we take really big goals and we chop them down into little pieces because that makes it doable. Once you take a big goal and make it doable, especially if you find it interesting and it's challenging you, man, you're on the way. So think about your life. If you are bored, if you are exhausted, if another Monday morning makes you feel like, oh, you can't do it again, it's time. It's time to figure out what's going on in your head and get motivated, meaning find an interesting thing that challenges you. If you want to change careers, that's fine. That sounds challenging. And it sounds like you're interested in it. Then what's the plan? We may not be able to just change careers today and quit today, but you know what you can do? You can go start getting another degree. You can go start doing other things to start working towards the plan. Make sense? Basic psychology. It comes from um, positive psychology, the area of positive psychology, and the book is called Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. He's a Hungarian. Okay, for a second it sounded made up, but... No way. Think I could make a name up like that? I was impressed. It was pretty cool. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. It means Michael, Little St. Michael in... Um, Hungarian. We actually had him on the show. We had him scheduled to be on the show and he forgot about it. He was so in flow. It ended up just being a challenge for him, but it wasn't interesting to him. (laughs) So he just didn't, he wasn't available. We don't hold it against him because he's really a scholar. He does a great job at what he does, but we can derive the benefit and know what's really going on in, in our heads and our motivation so think about it. You can sit there and just hate the next week or not like your life or want to get a new start somewhere else. Fine. That's great. That's I, Every time someone brings me a challenge, I say, oh, man, that sounds interesting. Now, do you want to fix it? Oh, for sure. Great. Now, let's do this. And we start trying to fix it. But fixing it is nothing more than making the plan to deal with the challenge, right? We've all got it. Stick with us, folks. That's why we do the show, to give you the tools, the information you need. We started with Motivation 101. We'll uh, take a break. We'll come back. We've got a whole new hour. Next hour, more tools, more ideas for you. Next hour, we're going to be talking to a dad that has learned that one of the ways to get his children motivated is sometimes writing embarrassing tardy notes. You're going to be tardy? I might embarrass you. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. 
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to live longer, love stronger, lead a healthier life. Today is no exception. Today, in just a few minutes, we're going to have a fun interview with a dad who took a problem that tends to, you know, everybody, every dad has had to motivate their kids to get up. These teen kids, sometimes even elementary school kids, they're just really hard to get up. My, I do it every day, 545, wake up my entire family. It's the greatest day moment of my day. I get one by one to go wake up my kids. Because the night before, I'm telling them all, you ought to go to bed. You all need, you need to well, go to bed. How do you wake them up? I turn on their light and I, I say happy things. I have a nickname for each one of them. Okay. It's interesting, too, how all of them get up. Like one son just pops right up. I have a son that lived away for two years as an LDS missionary. He was used to getting up. He pops right up and he, and he actually wakes up fairly quickly and just sits there looking at me kind of dazed, though. Kind of like I hit him with a – He needs a minute. Yeah. He's got a – But he's up. Yes, he's vertical. And then I have another one that uh, will not move, doesn't budge, doesn't make a noise. So with him, he's my musician. He's a hearer. So oh. he has a keyboard in his room. Sometimes I will just turn on um, – they like have a karaoke setting. Oh, okay. You so see. I'll just like turn on the karaoke setting and it starts playing like crazy organy jazzy music. And do you sing to him? Nope. You should. But that, it, that ticks him off. And, really? Because, yeah, and he has to get out of his bed to turn it off. Ah. So you just turn it on and leave the room? Usually I, usually with him I don't do that anymore, but if I need to, that's how I get ugly. Another one, I just turn on the light, and he sits up on his elbow, leans up on his elbow, and looks at me like, what? What are you doing? Like, I don't like you. See, now, when I was younger, my mom would send me down to get my little brother out of bed. Oh, no. And I, I was in high school. He was in junior high. Right, so we're we're basically, you know, kids, but yeah. we're not little kids. So I'd walk in there and I'm like, "Come on, man, wake up!" And he's like, "No," and I go, "Wake up!" He goes, "No, no." So <laughs> I'd crawl up on, he had like a, a headboard type yeah. thing, but it was pretty sturdy. So I'd climb up on top of that and then dive off on top of him. Oh, like kind of like uh, all star wrestling. Yeah, it's wrestling. I, I'm jumping so off the top you'd rope, drop an elbow on him. Yeah, and he just starts screaming for my pile mom. driver. They called that. And my mom's like, "You're supposed to wake him up nice." And I go, <laughs> "I did." <laughs> and it starts a fight. So I, now, oh, I now it. I do that with my son. Do you a little pile driver? I don't do that, but I'll I'll go in and like pick him up and I'll yeah. spin him around so he's half asleep when he's getting this sort of oh, see that's what tumble situation. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of mean. I with don't want to be up, mean. So. With mine, I tickle their back. My okay. younger ones tickle their yeah. back, and that wakes them up. And then I then I just sit them up, and then I sit them both up, and then I pull them out, and we're at it. It's easy. And my wife's up by then. It's good. It's my favorite part of the day. But when you can't get your kid, and then you have to write him a note. Sorry for Stacy being late. Yes. So our guest, Seth King, in a few minutes, he's going to talk about – he just he wouldn't do it anymore. So he just started writing really funny letters to the teacher, like that his son was practicing for his boy band. Okay. And if he's sore, it's because he's been working out a lot. And, you know. Yeah. you got to have fun. It's a different approach to it. So he uses humor – to get uh, his family motivated. We'll you, be talking about that. Do you think that. that may have been how he coped with 
maybe some frustration yeah. with kids not cooperating. Totally. Yeah. Where, I, whereas I, totally I go in it. and like attack people. I do too. Okay. I just start. You start spinning your kids. Yeah. The thing is, you got to figure out a way to do it with that you can do. You know, for the rest of their life, spinning won't always work. No, but it'll just turn into me just going in there and diving on his bed and wrestling. What, what are you going to do the day he's bigger and stronger than you? I'll, I'll just keep working out. He'll be fine. <laughs> That'll be a fun day. You just have to make sure that as long as he's in the house and I'm responsible to get him out of bed, that see, I could take my child see, and he then, won't be a physical force against me. Then what we do? I win. Well, that's what that's what happens. <laughs> so then once you can. Once you can't physically dominate him, then you have to financially dominate him. Then you're like, oh, so yeah. do you want your phone or don't you? Right. Do you, well, but you, you hope the relationship doesn't have to be based yeah. on taking things away. Right. That's not a healthy no. way to kind of motivate somebody. But I'm not afraid to go. I don't know what happened to the Wi-Fi. What happened to the Wi-Fi? Well, did the Wi-Fi go down? Oh, I changed the password. Oh, you, you mean you don't know the password? <laughs> you need to do some things to earn the password. We'll talk about motivation and motivating your kids in just a minute. We'll also do a big coach's corner on uh, humor and your family. You got to be careful because you can, you can offend. Some of them don't think certain things. It's are okay. Funny. It's the family. You can say whatever you want. Oh. Isn't oh, that how it no, works? It's not. Really? I, I got in big trouble. Oh. I was speaking at a group, and I my son. I said, "Why don't you come with me? You ought to come with me because these are all your friends." And there's probably like three hundred of his friends. He's like, nah. And I'm like, well, I might end up saying something that, that you know, you'll be mad about. And he's like, well, just don't. Just don't do it. <laughs> well, I did. And I said that he sleeps with a blanket. Oh. And so the next day it's cool. And I said, make sure everybody – make sure you ask him about it because he's wow. – he, he really wants to talk about it. So everybody did. He's 14. That's when you did this? Mm-hmm. Oh. But he's, he handled it very well. And now he does sleep with a blanket again. Was he mad? No. No? He was kind of honored. Okay. But embarrassed. Well, sure. Because so I, went, I went into a lot of detail. Is this the time when you're embezzling the story in yeah. your favor? Embezzling it? Embezzling no. the story? Oh, embellishing. Sorry. I am. I am embellishing. Embezzling the story. It's, no, I really did. It truly happened. I'm sure that works. Um, but, yeah. I'm you, all, let's see. That just shows what a jerk I am. Hmm. What do you do? That see these are your good tips because Thanksgiving's coming up. I know you spend time with family. You try to be funny, oh. maybe bring up some past things that have uh-huh. happened within the family, and maybe you you know anger some people. So so stick with so us. Be we'll get into the rules about humor. <laughs> you got to use the right rules, or someone's going to get hurt. Don't go too but far. Before we do that, let's get to the headlines. Find out what else is going on around the world. Thanks, Matt. At least one person is dead, two others injured in a shooting at New York's Penn Station earlier this morning. An AP report has the has three men shot during a dispute outside a McDonald's restaurant near the opening to the subway. Uh, suspects fled in a dark-colored SUV. The incident occurred around 6 a.m. Sources say all three victims had long records of mostly drug-related arrests. So that story is ongoing. A Jordanian police captain opened fire on contractors at a police training center Monday, killing two Americans and a third man from South Africa while leaving many others wounded. The shooting took place in the outskirts of the Jordanian capital of Amman at the King Abdullah Special Operations Training Center. Jordanian government spokesman said six others were injured in the attack, including two Americans and four Jordanians. The gunman was killed. The U.S. government has not confirmed reports that the cockpit voice recorders from the Russian passenger jet that crashed in Egypt last week reveals an explosion, but other news 
Uh, evidence is bolstering the theory that a bomb did tear through the plane. CBS News reports a U.S. official said American agencies had intercepted chatter from ISIS uh, members claiming they had an insider at the airport in Egypt. CBS Senior News safety correspondent Michael Moore. Early on, um, there was just chatter. There was just individuals congratulating each other, and that wasn't enough to get you to a bomb on the aircraft. But now I think you're getting to more senior conversations among ISIS, conversations among guys who would be in the know, right, that they actually did this. So I think that's what's pushing us from a possibility to likely. That was Michael Morell from CBS. The FBI has been invited by the Russians to go to the scene of the investigation to help out uh, workers uh, at the Egyptian airport say they have been questioned by government security officials and planes sitting on the tarmac overnight are now surrounded by armed guards at that airport because of this situation. Faculty and staff from the University of Minnesota are now joining a student-led walkout according to a letter released late Sunday. We, the concerned faculty of the University of Missouri, stand in solidarity with the Mizzou student activists who are advocating for racial justice on our campus. The letter said, among other demands, student activities want or student activists want University President Tom Wolf removed from office. Numerous recent incidences of racial targeting have raised tensions on campus, including someone shouting the N-word at members uh, of, of the uh, student body and the reported smearing of a uh, swastika in uh, human feces on Ooh. a bathroom wall. It really kind of, at that point is when it should have been taken care of, yeah. and it wasn't really addressed. The football game between... Missouri and BYU this weekend is under question as the football team is refusing to practice or participate in any football-related activities until this situation is resolved. Mm. And there's a graduate student who's on a hunger strike until the president is taken out of his job. Well, what if they don't take the president out? I'm not sure what he's going to do. If they decide today there's a meeting at 8 o'clock Eastern, or 10 a.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock Mountain, 9 Central, all that. That meeting will decide possibly what actions they take forward. Okay. Moving forward, whether the president loses his job or not, I'm not sure. Mm. But members of the local uh, Republican and Democrat uh, political parties in Missouri have asked, have called for the president to be uh, taken out of his job. Removed from office. Question, is a hot dog a sandwich? Well, let's go to Der Wiener Schnitzel himself, Ben Wasden. Is a hot dog a sandwich, Ben? It is a wiener. Uh-huh. This is true. Embellished with bread. It is not a sandwich. It's embellished. Embellished is Ben's word of the day. It was extorted or I'm not <laughs> sure what word you used before. The food classification in which a hot dog fits has been long debated, and the argument probably has a lot more mileage in it. The National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, that is a real thing, has dedicated itself to everything associated with the tube-shaped processed meat placed between a sliced bun. That sounds gross. The organization weighed in on Friday and declared a hot dog is not, we repeat, not a sandwich. What? It is also a non-sandwich. Okay. Is that a new classification? It's something unique and euphoric and that is beyond the confines of definition. You cannot define a hot dog. It is simply itself. Oh, my living. (laughs) Who cares? People debating whether a hot dog is a sandwich. If you or cut a not. hot dog in half, yes, and you put it on a piece of bread, it's a sandwich. And some restaurants call that a Polish sandwich. Mm. So good, so good, uh, good stuff, folks. We are going to be taking a break here. When we come back, Seth King will be joining us. He is uh, a dad trying to teach his kids about uh, the power of humor 
and by the way, you know, instruct his children's parents or his children's teachers about, um, you know, why their son, why his son is late. We're going to be talking to the dad that doesn't just write a tardy note. He writes a hilarious tardy note, and uh, he's found a really interesting way to motivate his kids. It's fun stuff. Stick with us, folks. Seth King will be up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, what would you do if you got this as a late note for one of your students? Okay, you're a teacher. Please excuse Carson King for being late today. His choreographer kept him later than we planned during his early morning boy band practice. (laughs) Many people don't know that Carson is one of the five members of the popular boy band named Essence of Pubescence. They are huge in the strip mall circuit. You can see them this weekend outside Papa Murphy's in Harriman. Hugs, Seth King. <laughs> well, that is a letter uh, written from our next guest, Seth King, uh, to his son's teacher. And uh, is he having fun? Sure. Is he teaching his kids a valuable lesson? Sure. Seth King, thanks for being here, man. No, thanks for having me. It's Appreciate cool it. because you, you've you made all this, uh, the national headlines. Uh, this this story's kind of taken off. Your kids are normal, five kids, but they're like normal like every other kid. They have a hard time getting to places on time. Yeah, normal. That's a that's a fair statement. They're kind of maniacs. Like are they I crazy? Am, but yeah, we're, I mean, everybody's fun, right? Yeah. And, um, yeah, we have our, our family quirks. But yeah, I, I, they – my eldest daughter had a hard time getting to school on time. And that was a frustration for me because I got sick of writing the same oh, note. Yeah. So I thought, how can I motivate her? You know, yeah. and uh, and so I so I embellished a little bit to make it a little more embarrassing to turn that late note in. That's and, uh, <laughs> what what uh, what would you say, for example, with your daughter? She's a little older, like thirteen, isn't she? Yeah, Isabella. She's easily embarrassed. <laughs> she's fifteen. She's in high school now, but at the time she was in middle school, and you know that that oh, that yeah. pivotal time, uh-huh. right? Everything matters. Everything, and sh- so. You know, I would I would write things that you know she was in a drum circle at a supermarket, you know, protesting <laughs> the killing of turkeys during Thanksgiving, yeah. or just stuff that would make the attendance office smile and her kind of blush. So that was the great. that was the goal, and it worked out. Did it? So then, what's funny? Do you write the letter in front of her, and then she has to she knows what it is when she's carrying it in? Oh yeah, there. I mean, if if I'm if I see that there is a chance that they're going to be late, I start writing a note. And they don't like that, and so that'll it'll it'll motivate them to move a little quick more quickly at home. And then uh, I'll take them to school, and if they are on time, I'll just you know I'll archive that note. But if they you can save it for later, yep, you take that and you give the attention. Well, what's office. cool is once you've written a bunch of them, then you can just hand them down. Oh yeah, I guess I could just scribble out the name. Right, the letter's just as good tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, some of them are you know time specific, but yeah. What's the longest letter you've ever written? Um, I wrote one my I when I knew my son, he had in fact it just happened. He his room was a disaster and I said you are not leaving your room like this before you go to school. And he was he was going to be on time, but I he he does this too often yeah. and I wanted to make sure that he knew this was not acceptable. So I made him clean his room before I took him to school. And you know, that's probably on me a little bit. Well, but, but that's it, I bet it worked. Yeah. Yeah, well, and his <laughs> he left 
his room clean this morning when he went to school. Isn't that so, interesting? Yeah, there's a, but it was long. It was you know about a, some giant gorilla or a party happening in his room every night or whatever. <laughs> so it messes up his room. Yeah, he's, but he learned. He, he you know, and and it's those little lessons. I think we share the responsibility of getting to school on time. It's not just me right. that needs to make sure that they're on that to, you know on time to school. They need to share that. But haven't you found that humor? It's an easier – you can come down hard on them. You can do it every day, come down hard on them. Then every morning is just a bad experience. Yep. Or you can just start writing a funny letter. Yeah, and it's more memorable, right? Right. My son will never forget that. His Some of his teachers signed his yearbook that year. Can't wait to see Essence of Pubescence when they come to town next. <laughs> so um, it's a fun way to remind um, him of – you know, you were, you were late this day. But we turned a little, you know, negative maybe into yeah. a bit of a positive for somebody. What do the so. kids say? The kids, um, they they get they kind of groan. Oh, I don't I don't want this, Dad. You know, <laughs> just write me a normal note. They always say that, just a normal note. And I'm like, nope, you're nope. late. Crazy there's, note. There's no such thing as normal note. We're not a normal family. You're not getting a normal <laughs> note. Do do the teachers? I guess they like it. Do you go to like parent teacher conferences and do they just laugh with you? Yeah, we have a we had a really fun discussion with my son's French teacher uh, last <laughs> last time uh, at parent teacher conference uh, about this very thing. But it's 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 been motivating enough that it's happening less and less frequently for yeah. my older children. And um, the the younger children are also kind of following suit. So I'm I'm having less to write lately, and it it's a it's a good thing. Did you hear about? There's another Utah that um, he his the bus drives by, so he'd walk his kids out and ch- and change dress his up. dress. Yeah, he'd dress up into a different costume every day. Loved it. Yeah. Don't you and, think that's cool? I mean, it's like you you care enough to write a note. You care enough to be involved, even though your kids are late. Yeah, yeah. I could I could just send them to school and be like, oh well, you're well, late. Yeah, tough luck. Did it again. But I, I want them to understand that I'm invested in them, just yeah. like that dad dressing up in a costume. I mean, that's a lot. That's hard to yeah. get a costume every day. But how memorable was it for the children and for the children who weren't his children <laughs> as well right. on the bus? You know, just a. I think there's all sorts of fun you can have with parenting and being a parent, and I'm but, not going to miss out on that. And it's what I love too is you're being creative. You're not just you're, and you're not trying to you're not trying to destroy him. And they apparently are okay with it. Yeah. Do any of your kids think no, Dad? My 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 teenage daughter is at its no dad state. Yeah. You know, and the teenagers are of course a little more difficult. The uh, the younger children they kind of get a kick out of it a, a, a bit more. But um, yeah, I, I don't want to beat them down. No, you know? that's I want, not your goal. I want it to be a a happy. You know, oh, I'm late, but I can smile about it. You know? Is does. Your wife get involved, or does she just say, "Honey, you need to write a note"? <laughs> she's written one. I think she's written one or two in the past. Or I, I think we've only posted one. Maybe the other one we didn't use. But she's she's hilarious. My wife is much more funny, and she has a better sense of comedic timing than I does. Do. She, she does. Really? Yeah, she does improv. She's very funny. Awesome. Um, we and I I do it with her. Uh, you know, and so we we have fun, and she's an she's she's a very hilarious. Woman, is she? So. Um, so what's funny is that the kids kind of expect this from you anyway. Like yeah. this isn't just the letter to take to get them into school. This is probably everything you do. Your dinners, your everything you guys do is probably more humor oriented. Yeah, we have a a very uh, 
a very humorous, loose atmosphere in our uh-huh. home in terms of, you know, just teasing and being fun and laughing and dancing. There's there's always a dance party going on. <laughs> Is there really? Oh, yeah. Well, my, like my an three, Ellen show. Yeah, my little three-year-old, he loves to dance. And so does so do my uh, my other kids. And so we'll just pop on the bows and, and uh, have a dance – impromptu dance party is what we call it. So. It's um, – have you ever had one of your kids, they bring their friends over and have you ever noticed that they they don't get humor like you do? I mean they'll still laugh but I, I have kids come over that they look at me like – and they don't know that we're being funny. Yeah. They don't know what to make of, yeah. of parents maybe who are a little more shoot from the hip and mm-hmm. tease their kids. But um, it's the way I was raised. My dad was very – he was hilarious and uh, always la- finding a way to laugh about everything. You know, bad situation, good situation, it didn't matter. And uh, I, I thought it was a, it was it was healthy for me anyway. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I learned that you know, uh, life doesn't always have to be this drudgery that, oh. that sometimes people make it out to be. It's and it, and it can be everywhere. Um, I mean, we have a we have a get together at night right before we all go to bed, and we'll have like a family prayer and we'll talk. And if that's not fun, it won't happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just gets ugly. Oh, no. I, last night, we, my 15-year-old was, you know, same thing. And uh, we were like, yeah, kneel down. It's time for prayers. And she wouldn't kneel down. And so we just relentlessly just all teased her uh, until <laughs> she finally did. did and, and it was fun. And she laughed. And it was all good. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, there's some people that are, you shouldn't tease a person because – but you're not doing it – and you you know your daughter. You know what she can take. You know what she can't take. You're not – I mean there's some people that are so uptight about teasing. You're not saying go beyond the realm of appropriate. No. I, I think more than anything I – mean, life for an adult, right? My yeah. life is made up of just these embarrassing professional moments oh. mixed with little successes yeah. and disappointments. And if I couldn't smile about it, I would be just miserable. And so I think learning now to be able to, you know, either whether it's taking constructive criticism with quotes around it or, or somebody teasing you at the workplace, I think if you learn that the gift now of just laughing yeah. at yourself, then life is going to be so much easier. It makes it so much easier. Give us some examples. What were some of the letters you have written? Um, what stands out as some of the funnier ones? Um, I love that essence of pubescence note because that really changed my son's behavior. You need uh, to get him a T-shirt. <laughs> I do. I should probably find four other friends and That's put them right. in T-shirts and make Wouldn't them sing in front of a strip mall somewhere. Totally. Um, I, I like the one about Isabella chasing. We had deer in our yard that morning, and I, I noticed she was going to. She was running late. Um, and so I started constructing a note about her chasing the deer around the yard, you know, <laughs> conjuring her Patronus charm. We're Harry Potter fans, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, with her, with her curling iron in her bathrobe. And that was, that was the note. That was the reason she was late. She couldn't stop chasing the deer around our yard. So, That's so great. I love that one. I like it. They're all loosely based in reality. So yeah, something going on that day. Yeah. Something happening at home or in popular media. Yeah. So a teenage girl loves like a runaway zit or pimple story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we always use that one. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, I, I haven't used that yet. It's but huge. I should. You know, another fun moment if you're not going to do this, but when your daughter is older and dating, it's the dating story. So when the guy comes to pick her up, there's this great responsibility of a father to induce a little fear mm-hmm. in the suitor, but also to um, just to make it lighthearted, but not, but have him questioning. 
Yeah. Oh, I've got my for when the first young man comes over to take my daughter out on a date. Yeah. Dance date or whatever. She's still 15, so we're kind of holding off as long as we can. Um, but I've got a I've got the short overalls and a, a mullet wig and a, and a mustache I've got. And I've got a shotgun that yeah, I'm going to get yeah, out, you're and pull out a shotgun. dry pump it a few times right. and make sure they know who's boss. <laughs> That's so. so I, I, I pity the boy that yeah. comes to your house. And but he'll it. leave my house with a smile on his face. He and will. And know that I'm in, invested in my daughter's That's life. That's exactly right. So. He knows. We would always, with my daughter, we'd always, uh, I'd always talk about how she's lactose intolerant. Nah. So get her home early and don't feed her any dairy. Yeah. And if you feed her any dairy, she'll turn into a gremlin. That's exactly right. And they would look at me like, what? <laughs> what? But what was fun is I knew that I was controlling the conversation on the way out the door. Yeah. No, I knew exactly. for the next five minutes she's going to have to explain that. Yeah. Oh, that's just my dad. That's just my dad. And he's, uh, he's always like that. He's yeah. crazy. I'm like, yeah. no, seriously. She'll say I'm crazy. But when you get out there, don't give her dairy. Yeah. Makes her sick. Yeah. Plants the seed, though, of, of uh, them knowing th- that suitor, like you said, yeah. knowing that, hey, this is my daughter. <laughs> and I, I know it. There's I'm, a hierarchy here. Yep. I'm, I'm the papa bear, man. It's cool. And I think it's super cool that you share it with your wife. Do you um, – was, was this the intended approach or did, did you guys plan this out or did it just happen one day? No, it just happened. I literally driving to her to school after probably the third day in a row that she was late and seemed pretty apathetic about it uh, and said, I need a note. And I instead of writing a normal note, I think I wrote the note about you know her chasing a frog of corn around the house, one of the first ones. And she's like, Dad, I don't want to turn this. Just write me a normal note. I was like, that's your note. Good luck. Bye. And uh, it was embarrassing for her. Yeah. And I, I, that was the motivating factor. I was like, you need to be invested. Yeah, there's got to be I was ready something. to go. I was ready to go 15, 20 minutes before she needed to be to yeah. school. Um, uh, but she, she wasn't as, as concerned. And so I needed her to know that you need to be concerned about this. It's a great way to do it. I mean, it really is. And, it's, and I think, too, you're probably then you're enlightening your children they have to be responsible, and there's a consequence if they don't want to be responsible. But there's also they're learning humor along the way. Yeah, and I think they know I love them. Yeah, you know, first and foremost, and Dad has a good time. But I'm invested in their future. I want them to know everything they do is you know I'm aware of or I want to be aware of. But and think about it again: how many parents aren't getting these letters, aren't writing these letters? Their kids are just truant. They don't even know their kids are not going to classes. I mean, you're involved. Yeah, I, I think that's the key is just being involved as a parent. You don't have to write funny things. You don't, you know, some people might think this is a waste of time. It's a writing exercise for me. I also yeah. enjoy writing and, and comedy and humor. Right. So it's fun for me. But um, just being involved, I think, is such a key key factor. Is um, Do you see that you're using it now, uh, the humor part of parenting in other ways? Where else do you see? I mean, I've just found with my own kids – being able to joke about something, like not be sarcastic all the time, but being able to joke about something is a really interesting way to teach. It's a, well, and it's such a powerful way to diffuse a, a, an intense situation. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, you know, my, my son gets in a scuffle at the football game um, and at his football game and, and nothing too serious. But you, those, those emotions, are they're heightened and, yeah. and he's feeling, you know, I, I should have punched him back. No, well, no, you know, let's – Diffuse the situation and right. like, well, then if you would have punched him back, it would have killed him. You know, something <laughs> like that. And all yeah. of a sudden he's like, dad, come on. But it, it's, it's a good way. It's a way I learned and the way I grew mm-hmm. up to handle those those intense moments of life to diffuse or to enhance. You yeah. know, there's a, there's 
humor can be used in so many ways, and I, I, it just works for me and, and my family in this way. Well, and I think that's why I wanted you on the show because it it's uh, it's an art. I mean, you have to learn how to do it, and some people just it doesn't come natural. I had a big event where I three of my kids uh, this Saturday where I, I had – it's called a date night and there's 700 pe- people there, 350 couples. But I tell family stories about our life. And at the end, one of them had a date and one of them was actually passing a kidney stone, and one of my kids. Wow. And, and then my daughter had just had our baby and she was – our grandbaby and she was there. So it was a weird day. But after they came over to the house uh, Sunday, yesterday, and I asked each one of them what they thought – were they embarrassed? Did we go too far? And it was interesting. Each one of them would help me dial in better the comedy. Yeah. And, like, and so all of a sudden I learned, okay, so that wasn't too much. For one, it was the younger one. It was talking when we talked about whatever, that was embarrassing, dad. Or for my daughter, oh, yeah, that was totally funny. And my, just to see the feedback. You need feedback and humor. It's not enough to just get laughs. You need laughs from the person you're trying to move. Yeah. Uh, it was fun, and in this case, with the notes, it's nice to hear back from the teachers and administration. Uh-huh. Sometimes, do you really write that note? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did, I did. I and that. <laughs> and they enjoyed them. You know, they the middle school um, attendance office uh, enjoyed them when they got them before my daughter went to you know high school. So That's so funny. Um, no, I, you're totally right. The just experiencing how other people view right. what's humorous and what's not humorous. It's a challenge. You know, because a lot of people are like, that's that's insensitive. And I'm like, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to offend anyone. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean this is that. How I, this is how I see things. And That's, you know, what else is you can now, it's everywhere. In their lunches, mm-hmm. you can make embarrassing lunches that are really yep. hard to bring out in front of your friends. I don't know. There's a can of Spam. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that that would be funny. There's, it never ends. It. it really never ends. I'm going to take some of these take, ideas. They're really, mind. really good ideas. Yeah. My kids are older and after therapy – they they get over it, yeah. And I'm I never I wasn't too I'm not I'm I'm, I'm okay. You're, you you turned out great. Yeah. Well, I don't know if my mom would say the well, same sure. thing. But. Well, and <laughs> but you know, what's a little criminal juvie record? Yeah, exactly. A few, yeah, not a big deal. A few black marks on the permanent record is okay. <laughs> Just kidding. That's not okay, kids. Don't <laughs> don't don't go there. No. Uh, well, Seth King, we appreciate you, man. That's cool. Again, I think a, a great example of just parenting and trying to. You know, it's hard enough to not destroy your children's psyche, <laughs> but to do it with love and a little humor, man, it makes it a little easier. Yeah, amen. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you, you guys are a handsome crew. In well, here. You, you have no idea. Did you see Ben over there? Was he awake? By the way, this I should be see. a video. This, yeah, we're gonna podcast. start. We're gonna start uh, periscoping. Yeah, it's beautiful. But uh, the yeah, here. problem is, no one would watch it. Um, <laughs> we'll take a break, my friends. Come back. Uh, give you some more tools about humor and your family. Um, we're gonna also be posting the articles um, on Seth that uh, have made him now so famous and popular on our Twitter handle there at Doctor Matt Show. Check it out. We'll get you those links as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right after the break. To the Matt Townsend Show. 
You know, humor, it's it, it helps you heal. It really does. The research shows all of the hormones, the, the, the chemicals that uh, your body gets, the dopamine, the endorphins that run through your system when you're laughing. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. It can help. And uh, to me, it's one of the great parenting tools. But you got to make sure you're dosing it appropriately. And uh, you don't want to ever use the humor to hurt, right? Humor should always be to lift and to elevate. Uh, it also could be a way that you sneak in a little bit of truth. Um, one of the things I like to do when I do uh, when I speak is I found if I can make you laugh, then you don't even know you're getting help. In fact, I always joke at my date nights that there's probably uh, a lot of people that don't even know we're actually working on improving our relationship because we're laughing as we go. So think about your family. Is there enough laughter there? Is there enough humor? One of the great uh, uses that I've ever seen of humor, I had a good friend of mine when we were, um, I was about 23, I believe, and he was 21, and he ended up dying. He just dropped dead, heart issue, uh, while playing with a, a bunch of people from his church. And we went to his funeral, and my, my one of my, his older brother was one of my really, really, really good friends, and we, what do, what do you say? You know, what do you say at a funeral? Ah, sorry about your brother. But the words didn't work. It didn't matter. So uh, we went through the line, saw his family. I just said, I don't know what to say and just broke down crying. And they we all hugged and it just was very healing. Then they gave us a recorder and they asked all of his friends. Um, There's about five, six, seven of us. And we just went into a back room at the mortuary and started telling stories. And the stories were all of the hilarious, funny stories about Paul. And we laughed and laughed. It must have been such an interesting um, experience for the people that were going through the funeral um, or the viewing that night because everyone is in another room laughing. But who was laughing were all of his best friends, the people that knew him the best. And what we ended up doing is making this recording, and then the family listened to it, I believe, uh, either before or after the funeral the next day. But about 25 years later, I was talking to my friend, uh, the older brother of this boy that had passed away, and he told me that um, he thanked me again because we had so many stories, but he said, my family listened to that again on Paul's birthday. We had a family dinner and then we listened to that and we just laughed and laughed and laughed. And he says, even 25 years later, it's still helping us heal. So it helps folks. And now you got to do it appropriately, right? You don't just crack jokes when it's not appropriate, but there sometimes it, it buys us space. It helps us create time and, and it, and it slows things down. Let me give you a few rules about how you could use humor um, in your life, in your family, with your kids. Uh, one of the rules is that everyone should feel more loved and connected because of the humor. So, right, the humor should not be designed to to tear us apart. It should be used to unite us, to unify us, to bring everyone in the family closer together. Humor should be playful. It should strengthen the relationship and help us 
to trigger positive feelings and chemicals, not the negative ones. When we laugh, that dopamine enters our system, right? And it makes us feel more relaxed. It makes us feel happier. And so humorous moments should bring us together. There's a um, a great video um, that is so <laughs> that is so interesting. It, it, it and it doesn't matter what it is. Even it could just be. Uh, there was a, a great YouTube video that was out of a, a tiny boy that had been skiing with his family, and he ended up falling asleep on his skis. So they were all just standing around, and the little boy. And if you've never skied before. Your feet are pretty much locked in, right? And um, he, they had stopped and they were all sitting there, but he just kept falling asleep. And he started kind of circling about, you know, three or four or five inches, leaning forward, leaning back, and just moving around. And it was the funniest thing you've ever seen. At our house, we like to um, throw uh, YouTube up on our television screen and just go find really funny videos. But when you get into the videos, there's some videos where people are getting hurt. And in our family, we can't stand watching those, you know, where somebody's really getting harmed or, you know, breaking something. We like just the ones that are just the random, innocent, funny. And it unifies the family. So remember that everyone should be lifted and feel loved and connected. The minute you're using the humor to like intentionally put someone down, you're saying things that are sarcastic or hurtful about the person, it's uh, it's not so healthy. Also, watch out for the fact that um, and when you're planning and, and you doing humorous bits, think relationship, not just reaction. A lot of what you see on YouTube, it's just simple reactivity. Some people love to like throw a spider on somebody and then just watch them react. But in the end, you've got to focus on the relationship because in the end, it's the relationship that's going to matter. Like Seth King was talking about, he's trying to not just create an unhappy reaction with his child. He wants the relationship to be strong and he wants to teach her that you need to be on time. So watch out for that um, and make sure you're using your humor not just to to embarrass somebody, not just to create a reaction that you can put on YouTube, but make sure that the relationship can remain intact. It should be something that for many, many years you can still go laugh and talk about. Um, another rule. Remember that a lot of times the funniest moments just appear. They're not created. You don't need to go, you know, create this ornate, incredibly complicated trap to catch somebody to make something be funny. Some of the funniest things that you'll ever see just happen. But the funny thing, too, about our world is we're not paying attention. If you're looking for the funny, you'll find it. It's there. It's there all the time. In fact, some of the best comedians you'll see are only talking about things that they're very basic, stupid things that people do, but they're stupid and they paid attention and they noticed it. There's humor in everything. In everything you can possibly imagine, you can find something that is um, funny. From everything from, I mean, just the mousetrap stuff that's been going on around my house, it's crazy. Uh, We still to this day, right now in our home, we have a mousetrap with a sock in it. It's a sticky trap, and there is a sock stuck to the trap. And my wife, I'm like, yeah, we probably ought to just throw that away. (laughs) But she won't. 
she's going to keep that. That's a viable trap. And it looks like it's, you know, camouflaged because it's got a sock on it. And uh, we're keeping it. We're keeping it. Okay. There you go. Just a little uh, concept. Remember, though, the moments that are funny, they're always there. And you don't, you know, have to berate somebody and put them down. Humor should be edifying. It should be uniting. It should be tasteful. It should be repeatable. One of the best ways to know if it was good, healthy, fun is if it's repeatable. One time we uh, were driving down the road in high school and a friend of ours saw a snake in the road, a dead snake. He was dead. And he thought he was an older – he was uh, one of – basically kind of like our our church youth leader. And he's like, oh, we got to get that snake. I bet it was just recently hit by a car. So we pulled over and it was actually just he and I and I hate snakes. We said, let's just get the snake. So this is the makings of some pretty crazy humor because people are terrified about snakes. Um and we go over, we get his golf club out, we pick the snake up. Can you see where this is going? And we just put it in a box in the back of his car, a Nordstrom box, by the way. I'll never forget it. And uh, we drove away. Now, what do you think happened? Right now, your mind's like, oh, I bet that snake got out. It was, a, it was alive. That snake was alive. No, it was dead. So we went right to my friend's house. And we set the snake up, the dead snake, coiled it up right by his gear shift in his car, Went up the street, pre-cell phone, by the way, and we called him in a neighbor's house. And then we all went out and watched him go to his car. (laughs) And he went out, ran to his car, jumped in his car, started his car, jumped out of his car, slammed the door. And we were laughing so hard. And um, then we went and found him and said, dude, let him in on the joke. We took that snake to probably 30 other homes. And... (laughs) We used that snake for a weekend. It was that snake was so nasty by the time it was done that it was leaking. But it was hilarious. Um, anyway, it should be repeatable. And uh, everyone, by the way, everyone, one by one, they would all joke and come with us, and we'd go to the next house. And by the time we had done it, we had done all of our friends, all of our neighbors, everybody we know. Um, And everyone to this day, that became part of the joke that was brought up at the funeral. Another rule for you, lift, don't lower. We got to make sure we're lifting the people, not lowering them. Humor should bring you together. It doesn't cost you a penny, by the way, to find funny things and to laugh at funny things. It doesn't cost you a cent. Nothing works faster or more dependably to bring you back into balance than a good laugh. It lightens your burdens, it inspires your hope, it connects you to others, it keeps you grounded, focused, and alert, it shifts your perspective, it allows you to see situations in more realistic, less threatening light. It is the, it is the perfect neutralizer. There is nothing more powerful than a really funny, well-thought-out comeback. Do you remember when Mondale was trying to take on President um, Reagan because he was too old? And somebody brought up his age. Don't you think, you know, it's your age, you're the oldest presidential candidate, da, 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 da. And he made a very, President Reagan made a great comeback that just said, I will 
not hold or make my competitors, my opponents, inexperience and youth an issue in this race. And he turned it. Humor, I'm telling you, it changes it. And if you can be playful, it's hard to beat. But there's also a time where you got to be serious, right? And again, I've seen it over and over again. A little ability to laugh and to smile when things get tough, it's probably the number one tool that we could use in our marriages to be able to find the funny. I do these events and my wife sits there and she's probably heard me tell certain stories like literally hundreds of times and she still laughs at the story which says either she has a horrible sense of humor or she can just keep going to the same space. So if we can laugh about something together, it's powerful. We've been able to laugh about the the traps and the mice at our house. Well, I have. She's not laughing a whole lot. Anyway, it does create a bond and it's a pretty powerful bond. Anyway, there's some headlines, some I mean some tools for you. It's not easy. I get it. But it beats the alternative. Just being moody and having to cry about everything in life that's so horrible. Here's an example. Help wanted. Okay. So you wonder why we always tell the crazy stories. But apparently a supermarket chain uh, has posted a job offer as a Christmas light untangler. Oh, pick me. Oh, I know. I know me, me. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Tesco supermarkets has the perfect job for you. The British chain posted a very specific job ad on its website. They're looking for an enthusiastic person to detangle Christmas lights for a needy customers this holiday season. Let's be honest. Untangling those little things is a very difficult, uh, activity, right? So why not pay someone to do it for you? According to the job description, the supermarket chain is launching the service in one of its UK locations for the first time. If you want to apply, you must simply be passionate about Christmas and are able to untangle three meters of Christmas lights in under three minutes. Also, you need to have the energy and drive to be your best and to exceed expectations. Last time I timed myself, I could only do two meters for every three minutes. Yeah. So... Okay, focus. Go. Tr- you know what? Keep working it. Yeah. A couple more years, pal. You'll uh, be there. The hard part is retangling my, my practice lights. Yeah. 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 It's not – yeah. Just You know what? Ceiling fan. Super easy. Okay. Just throw them up there. I, I've just been giving them to my little brother, but I guess – Yeah, no. Ceiling, okay. ceiling fan. I mean, that's how I do mine. Okay. When I'm practicing. Uh, how fast do you do them? Uh, I can do three three meters in a minute. Really? Yeah. Wow. I use scissors, though, and a soldering iron. It's a lot easier. It's a piece of cake. Anyway, it's everywhere, folks. Every time you pull out the news, every time you watch a debate, there's funny things going on. Pay attention. Let's start looking for it. Uh, The goal of the show is to give you the tools, the information you need to uh, live a healthier, happier life. And for heaven's sakes, what if we could laugh along the way? Wouldn't that be great? We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you see the good in the world. We'll be right back.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show. It's also, by the way, uh, where you get World Freedom Day, World Orphans Day, and Chaos Never Dies Day. Chaos. Chaos Never Dies. Three days, one for freedom for orphans and chaos. Every day we bring you a celebration of new days. In the Chaos Day, they want you to actually celebrate chaos. I love chaos. Chaos. So much of our life is about order and trying to make things manageable. Just let it go. No, Just... That's a huge principle of systems thinking is chaos. And you got to create order out of chaos. It's called chaotic. Mm. Mm. Ben. I was just wondering, so you organize a day to celebrate chaos. Yes. It's loosely organized. Because a lot of people experience very little chaos in their day. So you have to plan it. See, yes. Well, yeah. Or plan not to impede chaos, which will happen naturally if you'll just get out of the way. It's like political candidates who are planning on being spontaneous. Yeah. And they're not. And they try really hard. And you can see them going through the list of of spontaneous-sounding quotes they've memorized. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. Like one that comes to mind was Hillary Clinton's – they say I don't like screaming. No, yes. they 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 want they don't want me to scream. I can't remember what she said. Yeah, but that seemed very canned. Like she knew what was coming. Yeah. So we're celebrating these failed attempts at chaos. No, we could. We're, we're celebrating chaos. Here's why: chaos. When you allow it to happen, here's an example. Have you ever? Well, you haven't because you don't have children yet. But you will. Your child. Didn't plan ahead. They're failing a class. They needed to have a report done. They're late. It's Sunday night. It has to be turned in tomorrow. And guess what? We have to handle it now. So the mom or the dad gets in, does the kid's science report for him. Bada boom, bada bing. No more chaos for the kid. Mother or father solved it. And the child learned nothing. So this is the day where you let your child flounder. Sure. Okay. No, I don't know if that's what the day is for. But it is what we are celebrating today. It it could be as easy as whatever rigid schedule you have, maybe you give yourself 10 minutes to just not have anything and just see what happens. See what goes crazy. Just allow life to spin out for 10 minutes. Do you know why? Let me tell you why. This is why. Um because you probably know this as a millennial, but your badge of shame, <laughs> millennial. But millennials are they're they're a little bit more into less. Maybe Structure. they maybe they are okay with more chaos than the rest of us. Like we try to, we try to buy a house. We thinking that that will create strength, but it really creates chaos. You try to avoid a house because you don't want to, what, mess up your life. Deal with it. Have debt. Miss a mortgage payment. Then you yeah. have that hassle. The crazy story. Did you hear about this? What's going on? This is nuts. 
No, it's not. It's actually pretty neat. In the Atlantic, uh, they're starting to make dorms for grown-ups. In, the, Atl- in for- the Atlantic? No, the Atlantic magazine. Oh, gotcha. I was like, wait, what's that? The ocean? In the ocean. <laughs> in the ocean. In the Atlantic <laughs> magazine. Dorms for grown-ups. talking about a story where dorms for grown-ups, a solution for lonely millennials. So instead, you don't need to go buy a house. You can go get like a condo. It's like an apartment. Yeah. But it's a dorm because you have common areas. And in the common areas, you'll have a chef's kitchen. You'll have all of these things. It's about a 300-square-foot living space. You'll have your own shower. Yep. You'll have your own little mini living room. It's like tiny studios. Yeah. But they all walk out into a common area. It allows for further coddling, right? Yeah. Like a, and it's a dorm. It's like a dorm feeling. So you're a member of a family. This is when you get kicked out of your home, Ben, and you have nowhere to go, but you have a job. You can now go get another dorm. So you can have a family without the hassle of actually... Having a family. Yeah. I like it. Well, of course you do. <laughs> I mean, it's something that we never would have thought about years ago. No, because at some point you, you know, grow up, buy a house. It's like a kibbutz. You do what you're supposed <laughs> to do, Matt. Uh, it sounds like a really great idea. Yeah, it does. So just know those are options for you. Unless, of course, you're tired of dorm life yeah. and you want to move on. Some people, they like dorm life. Some things just aren't what they appear to be when you move on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did Once you, hear, you get there, you're like, this is it? Really? Did you, did you hear about that lady that thought she won $8 million jackpot? Yeah. That nope. was... No, nope, she didn't. She didn't win the I money. mean, the thing said she won an $8 million jackpot. A woman thought she hit the jackpot in Rochester, Washington. The slot machine showed $8 million. But it turns out it was just a major machine malfunction. She really only won $80. Oh, come on! That's what she said. The Lucky Eagle Casino is now working with the manufacturer to figure out, hey, what went wrong? Wow, why didn't it just throw out $8 million? The, the machine is set to only go to 40000 Yeah, so That's even the it, top end. The, the high end, the most she would have won was forty grand, but the machine said $8 million. So, so it threw that woman into chaos. So she, she, in her mind, she's like, well, in her mind, she reads right in front of her. You just won $8 million. The machine goes off, all kinds of bells, whistles, and everything. And then they come up and go, no, you won eighty. Yeah. Does she have some sort of legal sure. claim here? But it's going to cost her. Yeah. Well, she felt cheated, though. She said, they come spend thousands and thousands of dollars with hope of winning a big prize like I did. She won $8 million. Then they come and carelessly tell you, guess what? The machine was malfunctioning. We cannot pay you. <sighs> chaos. Yeah. It's now, good. It's from great. this chaos, she will learn. Don't from gamble. this chaos, they will learn. Everyone will learn. Now the casino is getting bad press. Everyone's going to learn. See how it's good, Ben? But it's not organized. Like, that was an organized chaos. No, no, chaos. no, no, no. That's just well, crazy chaos. That's just what happens. Chaos just happens. Now you got to organize. She's got to go get organized. Get a lawyer. Lawyer up. <laughs> get her money. Then she'll be happy. Pain and suffering. Yeah. Gotta she, put a money amount on pain and suffering. If they say you win $8 million, you win $8 million. Even that one, you could never have won $8 million. <sighs> Taking the casinos down. One lying machine at a time. One cheating 
one-armed bandit, bandit at a time. Let's this go to the is the show where we give you the information you need. <laughs> Sums it all up right How there. to take down a casino. <laughs> we'll take, uh, let's go to our headlines. Talk to Terry. Find out what's going on in the rest of the world. Terry? Thanks, Matt. Renowned Russian athletes, including Olympians and winners of top sporting events such as the Chicago Marathon, have been involved in a state-sponsored doping program for years, the World Anti-Doping Agency revealed in a report on Monday. The report alleges that Russian go- the Russian government helped get drugs for athletes and covered up positive test results. It recommends that Russia be suspended from competition, including the upcoming 2016 Olympics. Russia had more drug violation citations than any other nation in 2013, with 12% of the global infractions, most of those violations in track and field. In an early morning shooting inside a subway station in Midtown Manhattan, it has left a 43-year-old man dead and two other men in serious condition. The attack took place close to Penn Station. The victims are believed to have been shot at point-blank range. The gunman is thought to have escaped by car, although authorities have not confirmed if he or she is still at large. The next Republican debate set for Tuesday night on Fox Business News because of the criticism of the last debate on CNBC. Their competitors, Fox Business, they are already doing their part to distance themselves from the soap opera that unfolded when moderators asked what some believed were questions meant to provoke drama. In response to CNBC's question controversy, the moderators both agree to do their research, stick to economic and business topics. They say, we're business journalists, we're nerds, we should embrace who we are, we want to stick to these subjects. They also go on to say, this isn't Access Hollywood. Thank heavens. There you go. Maybe we'll have a debate. There are never really debates, though, because no. no one talks to each other. They talk at each other. Faculty and staff from the University of Missouri are joining a student-led walkout, according to a letter released late Sunday. Among the other demands, student activists went want uh, University President Tim Wolf removed from office. Numerous recent incidents of racial targeting have raised tensions on campus, including someone shouting the N-word at members of the campus. The, uh, the football team has joined in this, uh, I guess, protest, you could call it. Mm. It was 30 members. And then last night, the coach tweeted out a picture of the entire team saying, we stand with our players. Wow. Seemingly that the entire football team is now on board saying they aren't going to practice. They aren't going to participate in any games until the situation is resolved. Likely that they want the president removed from, from his office. Interesting. That's a big deal. This is the coach taking on the president now it's a big deal usually you know the coach might just step back and yeah. let his players have their that's, their, I guess their that, moment that's he defending his team that's great he is so um if they do miss their football game this weekend there is a penalty built into the contract the game is with uh, byu oh so does byu they would have a buy and they would they receive a million dollars get a million dollars from a missed game I think they'd rather have the game. Probably play the game. It's a it's a you know a state university in Missouri. Well, so. and hopefully they make the decision soon because you don't want to have to forfeit the game on Thursday or go to the, still play well, the game on Thursday because of the games on oh, Saturday. Yeah. So if they started practicing Thursday or Friday, that yeah. wouldn't be a fun game. Either. They'd have to make a decision by Thursday because there mm. has to be flights involved and that kind of thing. So oh, the story man. story's continuing. There's meetings going on right now as they're trying to decide what to do. Volkswagen managers are reportedly concerned about travel. Traveling to the U.S. after investigators took the passport of an employee who was visiting. Company sources contend that investigators want to keep this uh, manager dodging questions linked to the emissions scandal. The company could pay as much as $18 billion for intentionally rigging emission tests of diesel, of diesel vehicles. So we had 
FIFA officials who were avoiding coming to the United States or traveling abroad at all, right. being afraid of getting arrested. Now it looks like some uh, Volkswagen managers are likewise staying home for fear of arrest. <laughs> um, this is this might be a bit of concern for people. Girl Scout troops in several areas of the United States are set to hike prices of a box of cookies from uh, $5 up from $4. So it's a 25% wow. increase. Troops in eastern Massachusetts plan to raise their cookie prices for the first time in eight years. When the sales began December 11th, two California Girl Scout councils also charge $5 a box this year. Mm. So that will uh, that will give the Girl Scouts 90 cents per box up from 62% or 62 cents a box when it was $4 a box. So they're only making 90 cents. 96, 90 cents on every box they sell. Well, it seems like what they ought to do is go ne- renegotiate. It sounds like they're getting a bad deal out of $5, but I don't know. What? I don't know. You don't want a mint. What do they call them? A mint. A thin mint, or thin whatever mint? they're called. Yeah. No, it's a it's a a point of of concern. I know Girl Scout cookies are popular, and they were going mm. to be more expensive this year. Well, so whatever you're saving possibly on gas for your car will probably go into yeah, Girl Scout cookies. Girl Scout cookies, of course you will. Uh, excellent, interesting information. We will take a break, my friends. When we come back, family dinners. You know, sometimes they're not so exciting. <laughs> Not the most positive things, especially around the holiday time. But joining us in just a few minutes will be uh, Dr. Charlotte Resnick, who's going to be talking about some of the research about family dinners and how you could create healthier family time around the dinner table. It's not a holiday thing. It's something we could do every day and should be doing every day. And maybe eventually that would make, uh, you know, when you're an adult, your holiday dinners a lot more pleasant and happy. Stick with us, folks. We're talking dinner time as a family and the power to create connection while eating. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is a song about turkey dinner. A little song about turkey dinner. Sing along with me. Yeah, one, two, three. Cranberry sauce and oyster stuffing. Mm. White meat, please. Mashed potatoes fluffing. <laughs> Should have got more when I was at the store. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Nothing like a song about turkey dinner to make the world go round. Hey, in a few weeks here coming up, we're going to be sitting around the table feasting on turkey, mashed potatoes, and pie. Aren't you just dying for that day when you can leave the office behind, sit down, and enjoy a nice dinner with the family? What is it about Thanksgiving dinner that makes people look forward to it all year round? Maybe it's mom's recipes or the laughing with the kids, or maybe it's just the fact that you know it's something that will be there for you every year at the end of November. But what if you could feel that same excitement every day when you come home from work rather than just once a year? In the end, uh, it's an, that is something we could all be striving for, is to have the same feelings about our day-to-day dinners with a family as we do about uh, the big Thanksgiving dinner. Child educational psychologist and former UCLA associate clinical professor of psychology, Dr. Charlotte Resnick, joins us now on the phone. She's the, she um, has basically said family dinners can be a loving, predictable routine that makes kids feel safe and cherished. And she's here to help us understand how to do that. Dr. Charlotte Resnick, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, delighted to be here. Love love having you. This is such a great topic because, you know, the kids matter to us. But 
for some reason, family dinners are they seem harder today to have than maybe 30 years ago. You know, they sure do, because so many of our kids are doing so much after school and life is so busy. I see kids, they go from a sport event to an art event to a musical event all in one day. Right. And, and, and the parents are working really hard. A lot of times both parents are working or one parent is working very late. So it's really hard to manage. But part of it is priorities. Um, you want to think about the values you want to teach your kids and what kind of home you you want to have. So the kids I see, the families do all sorts of things. I think there's something workable for every kind of family. Sure. Like I have some families that they just insist every night we want to be home for dinner. So that means they have to change things around. Like if dad is working long hours or mom is working long hours, they might come home for dinner and maybe do more work after the kids go to bed. Mm. Or some families have just one after-school activity. So um, maybe one day um, Johnny's in sports and then uh, Alicia has to wait to, for her piano lesson for the next day. So they don't have several kids going to different events each day. And it kind of slows things down a little bit Yeah, and, and gives them something to look forward to. And that's, I mean, I guess that's the key is that uh, we don't, there ever, there's a million different ways to make a family kind of dinner work. And, and there's some people that, you know, they have to, they're working just to make just to barely make it right so we don't yeah. want to discourage any of them why why are in the research why are family dinners so important why is eating together such a big deal well oh my gosh that's a long list so the first thing that comes up is it's predictable it could be a loving positive experience for everyone and um it's a time like you you started out quoting something I was writing about how kids could feel loved and cherished, and it just brings the family together again. And love and laughter really goes a long way to balance all the stresses in our lives. And, you know, even though I was saying a lot of families like to have dinner every night, some families can't. Like you said, it just won't work. So you figure out what works for your family. Maybe there are two nights a week you could have dinner together. Maybe everyone comes home Wednesday and Sunday. Or I even know some families that just do one night a week, like Friday for the beginning of the weekend. They know that's a night we're all getting together. We're all looking forward to the weekend. And they make it kind of a beautiful family ritual. And they take out their fanciest china and the kids drink juice from wine glasses. Mm. And they make it very, very special. So everyone looks forward to it. And it's it's symbolic because here comes you know Thanksgiving dinner, which is you know, one of the great dinners that gets all of the attention of the year. And yet it really it's funny because some dread going to Thanksgiving dinner just because their relationships aren't where they need to be or people might be there that drive them crazy. Um, And yet it seems like what we do in our day to day family dinners could could actually feel like a really positive Thanksgiving kind of meal. Or it could also set us up to have a great future of Thanksgiving meals. Absolutely, and I know a lot of families. One of the things, that, one of the things that research shows that sh- um, sharing gratitudes really helps. So mm. instead of focusing on the negative, focus on the positive. Like maybe everyone gets a chance to say what they're grateful for. At the maybe that's how you start the meal off. Maybe that's how you finish the meal off. So you could build in your own little rituals. Um, couple of families I knew do high and lows, like, and they, they might name it, like, what's the rose of the day? What's the thorn of the mm. day? 
what are some positive petals that you add on to your rose? And so they have a chance to share and that everyone's listened to. You know how in some families everyone's talking at once and right. no one gets a word in edgewise. So you might have everyone have a little bit of time to share before everyone starts chiming in. Hmm. Those and are great rules. to reflect back what your child is saying to you, like maybe someone was being a bully to them that day. So you reflect back their feelings. Wow, that must have felt pretty awful when someone was being a bully. And then maybe you give advice, maybe you don't. Maybe you just listen because really active listening is very healing in itself. Oh, yeah. And and these as I think about this, it is. It's like when we have a Thanksgiving dinner, we're all calmer, a little bit more calm at the very beginning. You might start, you might have a family prayer or something, but you do, you do give, go give gratitude around the table. There's all these formalities and there's benefit, I guess, to bring the formality to the day to day, right? Yes. Just like everyone looks forward to whatever stuffing you like. You you like your oyster stuffing or right. your, you know, just whatever mushroom stuffing. It would be lovely to have your family look forward to the gratitudes you share mm. or what you appreciate about each other. That's another thing that people go around the, the table and they say what they appreciate, appreciate about another person in the family, what they're grateful for in the other person or in their life that day. Yeah. And again, that I, I've seen people do that situationally. Like if it's someone's birthday – we go around on their birthday and everyone talks about how great they are and they leave their gratitudes. It's it's funny. On occasions and holidays, we really step up, don't we? Yes, <laughs> it's, we it's, really do. It's on the day-to-day. We don't – we struggle a little bit more. Not so much because we, we just get involved in day-to-day life. Yeah. And um, it's so nice to take a half hour or 45 minutes or an hour just to focus, to slow down and to be with each other. Yeah. That no, kind links me into the idea of do you have your iPhone, do you have your iPad or your smartphone Right. Around? Yeah, maybe that's it. You ought to have a little basket where they go during dinner. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and the thing I notice is that a lot of parents say, okay, no electronics, but then they get a call from work. Or, <laughs> right. So you want to be a good role model. You want to – Kids learn from what you do more than what you say. Mm-hmm. So really when you think about it, what terrible thing is going to happen in your life if you don't answer a phone for 45 minutes? Okay, there might be exceptions. Maybe grandma's in the hospital. Maybe someone is, you know, across the world in some exchange program and they have to call. But mostly it's nothing terrible is going to happen in your life except the wonderful things of just being present mm. being with each other. I mean, the presence, that, that really is it. And that's one of the big complaints that our, our children are finding about their parents using technology is they, they sense that they're not present. Yes. There was one girl I was working with, and in the breakfast, her, at breakfast time, her dad would always be on his iPad checking whatever for work. And she begged him, please, you know, she never sees him. He travels a lot for his work. And he said he would try, but mm. he really had a hard time doing it because his work took him all over the world. So he was getting emails and statistics from all over the world. So they made a deal that at least for part of the breakfast, for the first 15 minutes, they would be with each other. Yeah. Oh, that's – I mean when you think about it, you don't have much time with your kids anyway. I mean they're only there so many years until they're gone. And right. I think we just assume they'll keep coming around I guess. You know, and even if the family dinner is really hard, like 
several times a week. There are other times you could bond with your child in a positive way. And I kind of throw out the word positive because as parents, we always feel we want to teach our kids good values. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it comes across as criticism. So if we could keep the dinner time or, or, or lunchtime or breakfast time on weekends really positive toward them, that might go a long way also because you don't want to mix negative thoughts with eating. Oh, right. It's not good for your tummy anyway. No, that's right, yeah. You'll have acid indigestion. <laughs> right. Right. That's not good. Let's do this. We're speaking with Dr. Charlotte Resnick um, about our our holiday dinners, our meals, and also our day-to-day family meals and how they are a source of connecting. She's giving us some tools, some ideas for how we could reunite, maybe reconnect, find the find the joy again in uh, these meals and also in our families. Stick with us. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about family dinners and even holiday dinners. We keep, um, you know, it's easy to celebrate with family and have dinner once a year, right? Keep those traditions up. There's certain benefits to doing it every day at home, right? We should be able to sit down with our family and create some traditions about around our dinners. And there's a lot of wonderful research talking about, you know, if you work hard enough, you can find some good solutions to have family dinners more consistently. And there are very powerful rituals about that. In fact, including your children tend to do better in school. They tend to be better adjusted um, by just simply uh, having more time together as a family around dinner. Joining us to walk us through some of the latest research and ideas, tips, is Dr. Charlotte Rez, uh, Resnick. She's a child educational psychologist, author, and international workshop leader. She's also a blogger at Huffington Post under the parents section and um, has written a bunch of uh, books, a best-selling book, The Power of Your Child's Imagination, How to Transform Stress and Anxiety into Joy and Success, and uh, you can find out more information about her at her website, imageryforkids.com, imageryforkids.com. Dr. Charlotte Resnick, thanks for being with us. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you this morning, Matt. Thank you. I mean, really, I there's something sacred, isn't there, about these rituals with our family. Whether, however we do them, we've got to find a way to do them. Um, but there's just like the, just like a Thanksgiving holiday could become a really important, essential, sacred ritual for a family Day in and day out, we should we should try to look for that special moments at home. Yes, and that stays with the kids for a long time. When you have a positive connection, there's an emotional connection, and they could take it into their lives as they grow up and have their own families. Mm. So it's it's very important to consider, and yet we also have to consider everyone's family is different. So yeah. There's not one right way. There's the way that works for your family with the idea of making some sort of ritual, whether, as we talked about earlier, it's every night or twice a week or even once a week for dinner. And then there are many other ways to connect, which are so important. Well, and I, as a parent with a, a married child, I now notice how important it is to even, you know, have family dinners with them, keep them coming back more regularly. Sure. But then you you don't want to 
You don't want to trample on them. You don't want to push too hard. It gets a lot more complicated as your kids go off and start getting married. Yes. And sometimes they're nearby, so they could come back for Sunday dinner, yeah. or whether it's once a week or twice a month or even once a month. Something that's continual, and you know, okay, it's the first Sunday of the month, and we have that to look forward to. And the other Sundays, we could be with the other side's family, yeah. you know, if need be. Are there, are, are there things we should avoid doing um, in these dinners, whether it's, the nat- whether it's our holiday dinners or whether it's just our day in, day out? Are there things we just shouldn't be doing? I guess um, the first thing that pops up is to avoid the negativity. So if there's, if there's a difficult subject you need to address with your family, instead of addressing it at the dinner table, um, save that for a family meeting. Yeah. Even if it's after, just right after the, the dinner, you know, yeah. just, we need to have a, we're calling a family meeting and then there are all these nice little positive rules about that. Let everyone speak. You might introduce the topic as the parent and listen to what the situation is. It might be a child um, coming home too late, grabbing the car keys without asking, but you could address that separately mm. rather than at dinner. Yeah, you almost don't want – you want the dinner to just be where we always elevate the family and everything that's going on. We're always going to talk openly and then if we have to have a, a discussion about something, it's not necessarily part of the dinner. Right, and if you start that early – um, kids will get used to it. Of course, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, whatever ages your kids are, you could start now, mm. and that helps. Yeah, you got to do it when you can do it. <laughs> it's just the idea you want the kids to look forward to that togetherness, not dread it, because mm. they know they're going to be yelled at or called out about something. And you could even start that whole loving ritual earlier, like have everyone help, help set or prepare the meal and start that positive you know, appreciation and gratitude that you appreciate them helping and so glad they're there and they're taking their time out. And mm. Everyone really um, needs that appreciation. I had a, a family friend that, that their home wasn't set up, their kitchen, they just didn't have a big enough place to eat mm-hmm. and as a family. And right. um, so but what they ended up doing is they, instead of having family dinners, they had game night. Great. And so they turned it yeah. into something other, other than a meal. Is the meal as important or is it just the time together talking? I think the time together talking and sharing love and laughter is what's most important. So it might be breakfast. It might be just walking your child to school or driving to school. It might be sending, even sending a text to each other during the day, I love you, you know, have mm. a great day, or putting a little note in their lunchbox or in their backpack. Some kind of connection that seems like a ritual and that happens over and over that's positive and loving. Even reading to your kids at night. You know, we do that when our kids are young. Right. They don't do it so much when they're old and they really appreciate it. You could just read to, to them or read to each other. It's, that, it's that's so very true. sweet. Isn't it, it really, I know couples that, that have saved their marriage reading books to each other. Wonderful. So yeah. why couldn't you – I mean, again, it's like we we don't do it once our children are older. We just And mm. what happens if you notice when you have that time together, when you're reading the book, you're not yelling at them about anything. Right. You're not right. talking about anything else. You're totally in the present moment enjoying the book together. And I think that is what happens at Thanksgiving a lot, if we're not worried about what relative we're running into, is that we just – take that day as a holiday. It's a holiday of gratitude and appreciation. And we're so happy because we don't have to do schoolwork or work work. And we just, we have the day off. 
So if you could translate that into the dinners or the breakfast or the cuddling at night, just be present and enjoy the moment. That's very, very important and lasting. What What do you do if you happen to have teenagers and they don't they don't talk or they don't want to talk? So <laughs> and they, they feel like this is like you're trying something. What are you trying to do here, Dad? You mean like if you're all of a sudden starting something? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm trying to do something. Yeah, I, I am da- as a dad or as a mom trying to do something. I'm trying to make our family more loving and harmonious. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been so great lately. You know, you notice that we've been yelling at each other or not getting along or ignoring each other. How does that feel? doesn't feel so good. I think you'll get when I ask siblings, um, who are fighting, which of course is very typical, but still, <laughs> would you like to get along better? They all, 100, 99.9% say, yes, I'd like to get along better. So then you get a partial buy-in, like if you have a teenager. Have you noticed? It's not so pleasant around here. Would you like things to be happier right. around here? They'll probably say yes. And then the next question is, are you, would you be willing to try some new things that could get us to that goal? to get us to your goal of having things be happier and more mm. harmonious here. It's so their involvement, huh? Once you get them involved in solution-making, yes. th- they'll have buy-in. Right, exactly. But if, yeah. if you don't involve them, then it creates problems. One of your rules in your article, again, this a lot of what we're talking about comes from your article, family dinners, just holiday time or all the time. And uh, it was an article in the blog on Huffington Post But one of the things you brought up is no one gets up from the table. This is one of the tips. No one gets up from the table till the last eater is done. Parents may want to linger to chat after the kids are excused. Yes, because I was thinking about that uh, when we took a little break because some kids just eat in five seconds or five minutes and they're out of there. But the idea is not to just stuff food down your mouth but to take this time to be together as a family without your cell phone. You know? yeah. so, so we just know that you have to establish the rules. If you get the buy-in on we like our family to be happier and more harmonious, then this is one of the ways we could get there. Mm. So you get them to agree. And if you might get them to agree before you actually start doing it because they don't realize how painful it might be. That's them. right. Yeah, they do not know what they're in for. <laughs> right. But it's interesting, I think, because... Um, th- this isn't just for you as a parent to feel better and and the kids to just feel better in the unity, but it seems like it's also teaching other skills like communication skills, discipline skills, um, you know, eating habits. There's so many things around the dinner table that are essential to keeping a job later in life, to being, to getting married, to having relationships. Yes, and forgiveness is in there. For example, mm. when someone or a younger child often spills something, are you going to yell at them or are you going to go, accidents happen, let's help her clean it up? Right. You know, and then they, they don't have to be feel shamed or bad. They just, they'll be more careful next time without you pointing it out to them. Oh, it seems like a no-brainer, but it's such a big deal, isn't it? It, it is, and I, I love the idea of a of a family meal that you do learn so many skills, and it's helpful um, to ask um, open ended questions. So not just yes or no. When you mention the teenager, they're very big into yes or no answers. Right. So you want to ask more of a 
how or what you know what are your thoughts mm-hmm. rather than did you have a good time or how was your how was your day is a deadly question sometimes because you'll get a fine fine right <laughs> exactly but if you say what was the best thing that happened today uh, see that's you know, what do you yeah. remember from today and it you sets know, what it was up your lesson from today yeah it seems like um, we we get our we get in these routines and then we. We almost don't ever question the routine until we hear something like this, the article or discussion we're having. But I want everyone questioning the routine because dinner at our house a lot of times means mom or dad tends to make the meal. The mm-hmm. kids come in like tornadoes and eat the meal, and mm-hmm. then they all leave one by one as depending on how fast they consume things. Right. <laughs> but you're saying let's make it an event. From the beginning to the end, we are going to – we're going to go through this. So everyone can help or certain people can help. Those that don't help can clean up. We're going to be doing this together, though. Sure. Absolutely. Yes. Even the youngest one could take their little dish to the sink. Yeah. No, it's so true. And <laughs> and then and then what? My kids would say, well, then what am I supposed to do? Now, then you'll clean it. <laughs> it's such a long process. But I also think there's something connected to it. Um, if we're not used to these rituals of being together and and eating together and feeding one another emotionally, spiritually, physically, then when it does 20 years down the road come to, you know, the traditional dinners like Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, we don't know how to behave. Right. Exactly. So it's great practice. I mean, sometimes uh, a parent might say, how many times will I have to say this to my child. I said, well, you have till they're 18 and they go off to college. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. And then, and then eventually, yeah, then you can just hope that they're actually getting it. It's powerful. Yes, and all those parents who do have teenagers right now, you will likely get them back because the teenagers yep. are a challenging time. Their brain is exploding with all kinds of new brain cells developing and pruning. And so when you think, oh, my gosh, where is my child? They usually come back. Isn't that a great? <laughs> that's such a relief. Such a relief. the child who's like terrible table manners and not very nice at home, often they're just perfect when they go to their friend's house. Mm-hmm. So your values are there. Your good thoughts are there. Yeah. How many times have I heard all of these parents tell me, oh, your child's such a well-behaved child. And you go, my child? I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> I don't believe it. It's, oh, I think it's fascinating. Well, I, I appreciate your great work on that. As we wrap it up, what would you say, if we had to all have just one key that we take away from this, Charlotte, what would you say is the one thing? that makes the biggest difference in our meals, whether it's Thanksgiving or day-to-day with our healthy keep, families. Keep your heart open and let the love flow. That's cool. That's it. That's all we needed, Charlotte. Heart That's open and, and just let love flow versus yeah. you know venom or other things. Yeah. Good stuff. Dr. Uh, Charlotte Resnick, you, you can find her on her website, imageryforkids.com. She has a lot of powerful tools on unleashing your child's imagination and creating a, a, a powerful future there. Um, and we appreciate you, Charlotte, for your, your insight. We'll take a break. Come back. Uh, today we won't be talking to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. So stick with us, though. Uh, they are going to be at the top of the hour. They're just getting a breaking, late-breaking story about Missouri put together. But when we come back, we will uh, wrap up the show, continue the discussions about those, all those things that are good. Stick with us. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as we wrap up uh, this third hour, let's uh, just rifle through a few um, headlines for you. I do the headlines on the show because I want you to realize, man, you thought your life was bad. Life could get a lot worse, a lot worse. For example, if you are a light or a Star Wars fan, do not take your lightsaber to the screenings of The Force Awakens. You're not allowed to go take your lightsaber. Also, you shouldn't fly a X flyer. What do they call them? X wing? I don't know. I don't know enough about Star Wars to even fake it. Um, here's the story: uh, Star Wars fans planning to bring their own lightsabers to screenings of Force: The Force Awakens could be frustrated by two major cinema chains. Cinemark, the largest movie theater chain in the U.S., has banned them outright. You're not allowed to bring a lightsaber, while AMC, the second largest, has ordered them switched off during the screenings. You can bring, okay, you can bring your lightsabers in, but you are not allowed to turn your lightsaber on. Luke, turn your lightsaber off. This is nuts. Masks, face paint, blasters have all been prohibited amid concerns over mass shootings at cinemas, right? On its website, AMC posted, AMC does not permit weapons or items that would make other guests feel uncomfortable or detract from the movie-going experience. Guests are welcome to come dressed in costume, but we do not permit masks. Hey, uh, AMC, let me throw a few more things that you might not want to permit. How about teenagers that just talk through the movie? Let's not have that. Or how about people that just go there to kiss? That makes my, my kids uncomfortable. And I'm looking at you, Ben, because I know that's what you do at movies. I used to work at a movie theater. Did you? Yeah, I threw those kids out. Oh, did you have a little flashlight with a little red cone on it? No, I just walked in and told them to leave. Let's let's hear. Let's hear what you'd say. Can you stop kissing? No. <laughs> well, can you leave? Uh, you know no, what? That's what I said. That's not, it's not forceful enough. Hey! Quit kissing her. Get out of here, you rascally kids. Yeah. I I also, you find a lot of weird things after the movie's done. I bet you do. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you do. Don't bring it up. Yeah. I'm not sure it's appropriate. We don't want to hear about it. Hey, uh, let's go to our hero story. Hero story. We always like to end the show on a hero story. Our hero of the day is Georgia State Trooper Nathan Bradley from Morgan County, Georgia. Uh he faced the task of telling four children about their parents' death on Halloween. A Georgia State trooper decided to do things a little differently. Rather than just announce the devastating news then and there, Trooper Nathan Bradley decided to take the costume-clad kids under his wing for the evening and allowed them to enjoy Halloween. He also started an online fundraiser campaign to help the family. The officials found out that the closest relative of the dead parents, Donald and Crystal Howard, was was the children's paternal grandmother, who lived seven hours away in Florida. Bradley says he couldn't bear the thought of the kids being told that they were orphans and then having to spend the rest of Halloween waiting in a county jail for their grandmother to arrive. So he put the distressing announcement on hold. Bradley says he wanted to preserve Halloween for these kids, and he did just that. He took the kids out to get them burgers and milkshakes and gave them a tour of the police station. Other people who heard what happened brought candy, toys, and Disney movies for all four of the kids. The grandmother arrived just before dawn and agreed with Bradley and the others that it would be best to tell the children uh, uh, what had happened the next day. 
On Tuesday, Bradley heard from the eldest son that the funeral and associated costs would total $7,000. So Bradley decided to go set up a GoFundMe page for his kids with any of the leftover money going toward their future education. By Thursday, the GoFundMe had raised more than $150,000 by the donors. The Georgia Department of Public Safety praised his efforts. And compassion is a core value of our department, it said on its Facebook post. Trooper Bradley is a true example of that value, which is why uh, Georgia State Trooper Nathan Bradley, you are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. One person having an open heart, being compassionate of another, that's the goal. And we all can do it. Till tomorrow, folks, we'll be back again tomorrow, giving you more tools, more ideas to find the good in the world. And until tomorrow, let's go look after each other and let's make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.